1: Back everybody to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number one thirty nine, and this week I'm very pleased to be joined by one of the faces that runs the place, uh, the king of banter, Mr. Joe Lanza. Hi, Joe.
0: How you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good now that we're <laughs> finally got these microphones working, and uh, <laughs> it was a journey, but we're here and we're uh, we're recording, so that's good. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> it's going to keep working
0: technical issues you know <laughs> at least at least there's plenty of time to sort them out that's true
1: none of us have a hot, anything to do i don't
0: know about you i got nowhere to be so yeah um, you know you work it out and here we are but i'm just happy to uh to be here and it's it's kind of cool to uh not be talking about current events uh for once <laughs> on a podcast i mean not that i don't love doing the flagship but you know a change of pace every now and then is good so um, you know, we'll talk about some old matches today.
1: Yeah. So I'll introduce the new format and everything and talk about why I brought that on. But I guess I just how are you holding up so far in the uh in this fucking coronavirus world. I know it it's not a huge difference to you, right? Like you you did work from home a lot and you didn't go out a lot, right? I mean, you're more of a homebody.
0: I mean it's not that much of a change for me. Um Yeah. You know, I I did a lot of work from home. You know, I it just this just just cuts out Uh, the little bit of traveling that I see when I did leave the house for work, it would be like long journeys, four or five hour drives, uh, you know, 10 hour round trips. Uh, Those are just out now. So now I just do everything from home. And other than that, I mean, I kind of like being in the house anyway, so I'm mostly a homebody. So it's not like a gigantic change for me to be in the house all the time now. And, you know, because my wife does work, that's still considered essential. She, 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 she's still going to work and everything. So um, my household might be the most normal out of anybody's in terms of, you know, not much having, you know, changed, but it's still, you know, it's still tense and and weird. And, you know, you go grocery shopping and there's just this thickness in the air. Like nobody wants to, like everyone knows there's something going on, but no one wants to acknowledge it. And it's just, I don't know, man, we're living in a movie. So it's just, it's bizarre times.
1: It's a, it, I mean, it's a, it's a huge difference for me. I mean, like my, me, myself and my girlfriend and, you know, her mom, we all live in this apartment together and none of us did any work from home before this started. I mean, we were all, you know, working in, you know, at, in. her mother works in the South Bronx. I, Nicole and I work in the same office in Manhattan and you know, we did, none of us did any work from home ever, so we were commuting every day. So it is a big fucking change for us. <laughs> they were all home, twenty four seven, and I mean, we're lucky. We still have, we all still have jobs, you know. You know, we all uh, are they're letting us work from home, and it doesn't seem like they're gonna cut us anytime soon. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, it is a big change, and you know, we we're also like consummate New Yorkers that eat out all the time, and you know, go to mm-hmm. bars all the time. Not not mm-hmm. all not all the time, but like. You know, go to bars a couple times a month, and that's obviously all out. So it's very – it's a big change for us. But, uh, you know, I'm sure big it's for people listening. Just,
0: just being together in the house all the time when and that was almost never the case for more than, like, maybe a 24-hour period. Right. You know, it's got
1: like, be- we we would – I mean, we would stay stay home some weekends, but, like, a lot of weekends either I would go – I mean, I'd go and visit my dad and my friends in New Jersey, like, once a month, and that's obviously out now. Um, you know, it's just a very, it's a very weird adjustment. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, and then, and then like the to transition, I guess to. Well, what do you, what have you been filling the time with? I guess have you been, you know, what I found, and this is probably bad to say as a podcast host, but I am listening to way less podcasts <laughs> because I listened to so many podcasts, uh, like during my commute, you know, on the bus. Like I would just listen to because I had a long commute. I had like one to one and a half hour, you know, each way. And I would listen to a ton of podcasts and, you know, during, and then, you know, like uh, during those commutes. And, you know, I just, I, it's really cut into my podcast time and I've had to force myself to listen to stuff, I guess at home, because it's not something I'm used to doing, but uh, I don't know if you're the same way. Is that what you would fill those four to five hour trips with, or with a lot of podcasts?
0: Yeah. And, you're not alone. Podcast listening is down across the board. And that was something that was surprising to a lot of people, but it really isn't for the reasons that you just said, because people, a lot of people tend to do podcasts on their commute. And when the commute is eliminated, it, you know, th- their routine is disrupted and, you know, it, it's down across the board. We had an advertiser, uh, you know, pull all of their ads from our network and, you know, um, uh, uh you know, reschedule them for like November or whatever, because, uh, now even the advertisers do don't want to pay because, you know, podcast listening is down like 25, 30%. And that's the reason right there. I mean, for me, yeah, I would listen to them on my long car trips, but I, you know, I still listen to a ton of radio shows and podcasts and, and I still do that, you know, um, you know, in the house, but, uh, yeah, overall it's down. So, um, people, you know, this is kind of like a side hustle. For people like me and you, but people who do this for a living, this is just yet another area of people who are being hit because now, you know, the advertising dollars just aren't the same as they were before all this started.
1: Yeah. But I mean, you know, look, I I will do this if fucking two people listen. I don't really give a shit. So you don't have to worry about, you know, no one listening has to worry about me taking my hiatus or whatever. But I totally get it if you're either professional and you have to find something else to do or. If it's just not worth it to you anymore with, you know, list your ship down. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I I, totally get it because in my own personal life, I've probably listened to less podcasts in the past few weeks than I ever have before. So I yeah. find myself reading a lot more books. I don't know if that's just like books are very easy for me to, um, I guess, like really engross myself in and not like have my thoughts wander. So, I don't know. Books have been a good escape for me. I just finished reading, I don't know if you, do you know the story of Theranos? Do you know no. anything about that Elizabeth? You don't know, you, you missed all that stuff with that, that crazy woman who did the blood testing company and it turned out to be a complete fucking scam?
0: They did like the no, HBO have, documentary? No, nothing about it.
1: Okay, you should, watch, you should watch the HBO documentary. It's an incredible fucking story. Uh, I think it's like called oh God, The Inventor and it's like out for blood in silicon valley but it's an amazing incredible story but yeah i read i i meant i watched that documentary last year and i meant to read the book and then the book was like 3.99 on amazon for some reason so i just i the book was so good i ended up spending like 8 hours straight reading it and yeah if anyone hasn't read that book i think it's called bad blood i would highly recommend it that was a, a great distraction uh one day but i mean it's just an incredible story of uh, I got i got
0: like four books <laughs> I got like four books I bought like eight years ago that I still haven't cracked open, and I'm just staring mm-hmm. at them because now is the time. But but honestly, I'm filling a lot of my time with watching wrestling, and it's weird mm. because I'm actually watching more wrestling now because there's so little new wrestling, but I feel pressure to watch all of the new wrestling and all of the wrestling right. that's still going. So now I'm like, wait a minute! I'm now spending how somehow I'm spending more time watching wrestling, even though there's (laughs) less wrestling content. It's 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 all backwards. Yeah, um,
1: I've been watching a lot more retro stuff, but I so that that would transition nicely into I guess the format here and like um you know what why I decided to do this. So basically, I I cannot fucking stand the empty arena shows anymore. I mean, look the the us wrestling i'm i'm not the biggest fan of american modern american wrestling anyway i don't think that's a breaking news to any listeners here but i could not watch those wwe or aw shows more than like a week like i gave up pretty pretty quickly and you know i still haven't watched anything from mania i just i i don't know there's something about that that's just like very it's like something i didn't like that much to begin with and now in front of these fucking uh, empty buildings and like the fucking cinematic bullshit, like Matt Hardy teleporting and fucking even like this, all this other shit that they did at Mania. I, I, I mean, I just, I have less than no interest. I mean, that's just, it's not wrestling to me. So I just don't, I don't fucking care. It's not something I'd ever want to watch, which I don't really think you disagree with, although I haven't lis- listened to the new flagship yet. So I'm not sure if uh, maybe you guys uh, gushed about Mania for all I, I doubt it, but uh, you know
0: it's the empty arena stuff is hard to watch you, you get tired of it quickly and now i'm to the point where it's like there's the good empty arena stuff is really only good by empty arena standards
1: right right that's a
0: good it, point it's, it's not good but like the recent all japan show and i think some of the dynamites have been good by the standards that you know, that of the day that we're dealt with here, but they're not like ideal or good. I wouldn't call them good under normal circumstances. So, yeah. And, and the like rest that's of it has just been very hard to watch, especially the WWE stuff is so dry and hard to watch and soulless. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a task.
1: I mean, the Noah, you know, and that's a good transition. Like even like the Puro stuff, you know, I guess we could have done another week, you know, based on this empty arena Puro stuff, although it seems like they're even putting a stop to that now. But, like, um, the Empty Arena of stuff, like, I don't know. It just – it became – it has become a drag for me to even sit through that. And that's stuff I, I normally like, you know, when it's not in front of an empty arena. But, yeah, I'm, like, way – I've gotten way behind now in the empty arena, even even the Japanese stuff. And I don't know. It's just not compelling to me. And I think it's a very – it's a very poor distraction. And I think that's ultimately why when you look at these TV ratings in America and they're falling, it's, like, it doesn't take your mind off of anything. I mean, you – you're—it's basically like you're just confronted with how wrong this all is, and how we're all living through this, you know, really terrible period. Because like, it's just not what you're—it's not wrestling, you know. I mean, it's just—it's—it's it's this weird fucking uh, compromised thing they're putting on the air to have something on the air, and it doesn't distract you from what we're going through. It really like—you it, it, might as well watch the fucking news at that point, you know, when you look at these ratings and see the news doing so super well cuz cuz you know if you're going to look for distraction you're going to put on fucking netflix or hulu or whatever you're not going to put on this empty arena bullshit
0: it's so. the opposite of a distraction it's a reminder it it's yeah. it, it it's it's because it's it's just a stark reminder of what's going on and and um yeah you could absolutely lose yourself in a tv show or a movie or something And uh, But you cannot lose yourself in this because they're smacking you right in the face that this thing is still going on because there's no fucking fans there. And it's, you know, it's, you know, so, yeah, I I agree. I mean, these people who are claiming that it's, you know, uh, we need this because it's a distraction from what's going on. It's the total opposite. It's just it's an instant reminder because it's this weird, creepy vibe. And you're questioning why they're even doing it. And you're wondering whether uh, uh, you should even be supporting it. It's just it's just weird all around.
1: Yeah, so I mean, and definitely that's another element to it too. And now with fucking WWE going live for every show, which is just like I, I think you can kind of uh, get away with saying, okay, well if they're taping, a, you know, a month in advance like AW did, I I wouldn't. I, I mean, if it was me, I would not run anything. I get why AW's is doing it because they 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 need this TV deal, but I mean, I would not like just I would come down the side of safety, and that's just that's just me. But, like, that's still way more defensible than fucking going live three times a week. That's insane. But, you know, the networks are forcing them, then – I don't know. And It's very, very crappy.
0: None of it's ideal. But if you bring people together and tape six weeks' worth of TV and you're only – and you're telling anyone who doesn't want to come or isn't comfortable coming that they don't have to and you're using a skeleton crew as it is and just using the people who – are are willingly, which is the way AEW handled it, which you know may again may not have been perfect, but it, it, it's a lot different than bringing people in every week and 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 sh- and shooting live television every week. And it's just you're exposing people uh, x amount of times. Additionally, that you don't need to. I mean, you could have just filmed everything in one day and exposed everyone once. Now yeah. you're going to expose everybody every week. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. So yeah, it's a horrible idea. And I'm sure, look, I'm <laughs> sure that they're going to get shut down at some point and they can't continue yeah. to fly under the radar while everything else around us gets shut down and just snub their nose at this, no matter how lax Florida has been. I think at some point, uh, you know, they're, they're, th- this isn't going to last. I, I, I have to think that they're going to get, or, or, or that the wrestlers themselves are going to say, Hey, look, enough's enough. Something is going to break here. This isn't going to continue.
1: Yeah. So, but that's a, a long winded way to say this is why Omakase is uh, transitioning to doing some retro content for a while. Uh, things in Japan don't look great right now either. And, you know, it's what I think a lot of people were worried about. And we definitely talked about it on this show w- a few weeks ago that, like, you know, when they, they did that DDT Judgment Corokin and they did uh, the Stardom Corokin and a few other shows and, like, your big Japan's that never shut down in front of fans at the, towards the end of March. It's like, well, I don't know. This seems a little early. And uh, it was a little early because everything is, you know, they're in a state of emergency now. Um, They're taking it more seriously now, it seems like, with the Olympics now off the table. There isn't this uh, perverse, um, you know, incentive structure to to under test. Uh, They're now testing a lot more people. You know, if you look at these trackers, it's like 4,000 people a day they're testing, which is still not a ton per capita, I don't think. But, like, it's a lot more than they were testing, you know, even a few weeks ago. So I mean they were struggling to break four digits a lot of days. So yeah, I mean like it's uh, you know the they state of emergency through May sixth. Um, you know I know like I think people should be prepared for you know April to be very light, um, and then who knows if they'll be able to come back with fans during May. And then I think I think you're probably looking I, if I had to guess from read and I you know I, I read a lot about the situation in Japan. Obviously, I think the most realistic uh, for running shows in front of fans again is like late May, probably early June, which would really obviously put... And it could be later. It depends on how things go. But that would really put, you know, Dominion and DT Peter Pan and all that in jeopardy. But I mean, you know, you can't you can't fuck with this, you know? It's just so... It's been... This is a, a fucking global pandemic and, you know, it, it, Japan clearly doesn't have it under control. Not that it's still not as bad as it is here, but I mean, you know, they can't—you can't be running shows in front of thousands of people right now. That's pretty clear.
0: What a weird thing to live through. I know. I mean, no one's really lived through this in a hundred years. You know, Spanish flu. You got to go back to that, I guess, for the last time. I mean, just a weird thing to live through. You know, yeah. and then and, and and you know, a lot of the people, most of the people living through this, you know. It, it, you know uh, lived through 911 uh, and it's just, but it's a completely different animal but when we're all really old you know we'll have some very bizarre stories to tell to people who didn't live through any of this stuff but yeah. um, this is just it's, just it's just weird and creepy i'm just looking out my window and you know everybody's cars in the driveway and there's nobody on the street and it's just yeah and for the you it's really, for you it must be really even weird. more bizarre cuz it's new york city and it's yeah. it's gotta be even. I'm I'm, out, I'm just in the suburbs, out in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Uh, well, must- if you
1: if you saw if you saw where I lived, it it looks it it looks way more suburban than you'd think for the Bronx in New York proper. Like I live in a you know it, it, people who have lived here or who have come here are like, oh, this is almost like the suburbs. It's a little closer together, so it's not like I live in downtown Manhattan. That must be really fucking weird. Yeah. Just walking around. Like a ghost town downtown Manhattan, but it's still weird looking out the window and just seeing every like you're saying all these cars here. I mean, just like tons and tons of cars. Where normally, if you looked out the window on a Saturday afternoon, I mean, you'd see probably like a half as many, if that, because people be out living their lives, which nobody has that right now. So, uh, but yeah, I, the nine eleven comparison is interesting to me because I was I was fifteen years old for nine eleven, and I to be honest, I barely remember. And my life changing very much from that. I mean, like, I was, I mean, I lived in New Jersey, so I lived very close to it, as you did, I'm sure, at the time. Um, but I don't know, I don't, maybe I was just a little bit too young to really ha- feel like a proper impact from it, but it just kind of felt like, you know, it was, a, I remember one really weird day in high school when they put us on an auditorium and, you know, the day of it happening and, like, you know, I think a couple students did have parents that work there. And, you know, I don't, I I remember they were very distraught, but for the rest of us, it was like, wow, this is a thing. I mean, it was just, we're just a bunch of kids. We don't know what's going on. It's just like, all right, whatever. And, you know, I remember within like a week, it kind of felt like back to normal,
0: but. There was that same thickness in the air, but for different reasons. Like now uh I go out once a week to go grocery shopping. It's the only time I leave the house. So I'll go grocery shopping and you see other people in the store and it's like you're just side-eyeing each other because not that you're afraid of the people but you're just more cautious you're afraid to walk people are afraid to walk past each other like i'll be in the aisle in the grocery store and people will do the big u-turn when they see me in the aisle like i'm not walking past that guy you know you're just trying to stay away <laughs> from each other you know and it, and it's weird because they're telling us to stay away from each other so it's not that people are being rude we're just following the instructions but yet it still feels like we're being rude to one another like oh i don't want to walk promise- past you <laughs>
1: All this time, I probably should have mentioned, too, I probably had it. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, right. Happened.
0: You may have had it.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I think you know? I – I mean, I've, I'm, I'm about as certain as uh, someone could be without having been tested. Because first of all, I'm in New York, where apparently it's been here – now they're saying since mid-February, and it's all over the place. And if I didn't have it, I had the worst fucking flu of all time. So, like, I, I can't imagine that I didn't have it. I mean, I guess I'll – know for sure whenever they roll out this antibody testing you're talking about which is going to be able to um like they'll test you for the antibody so you'll, they'll know if you had it in the past but yeah man it was fucking awful and you know i mean the, you know when i described my symptoms to the doctor she was pretty confident that, that i probably had it but but they were like yeah don't come get tested though just stay if, as long as you can breathe stay at home and get better <laughs> i'm like okay I'm yeah. like, that's where we're at, I guess. Where if you can breathe, then uh, we don't want to fucking test you. you. Want you just stay home and you uh, know uh, recover. But yeah, I mean, it was a, you know, it was about like a t- ten or twelve day period that was pretty bad. But like really, for like three or four days was like really when it was like just the worst fucking. I mean, I've had some health problems in the past, so like I have other things I can compare it to, but like this was a really really awful i mean like it's one of those one of those feelings where you're just like it just feels like you're gonna be sick forever and like you just can't get get that thing out of your head of like you know this is never gonna end i'm gonna fucking die <laughs> like it's really it yeah. just feels so awful when you're in the middle of it and then finally one day you just start feeling better and you're like oh okay but uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's
0: every every time I cough or sneeze or have a runny nose, I think I've got the thing like that's the other thing, too. Like <laughs> any, any minor symptom like you start wondering, oh, no, I must have the thing.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: yeah I, I was in the grocery store last week and I had to cough, but I, 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 I didn't want to cough because I was afraid that people would think I had the thing and they'd get like mad at me. You know, so I had like this scratch in my throat and I'm just suppressing it. And I'm just swallowing saliva trying to get it to go away. And then finally I, I just – I had to go into the bathroom and just have like this coughing <laughs> fit to get the scratch out of my throat because I just – I was so cognizant of what other people might think. I was afraid to cough in front of people yeah, even into my arm or, or – you know what I mean? It, it's, yeah. It's,
1: Do you, you know don't when you can now – they're selling these fucking patches you can put on your fucking shirt to say, I have hay fever, I have asthma, I have, like, whatever. So people can <laughs> see that when you're coughing and not assume you have the coronavirus. I totally like, get it. Kind of, yeah. Like, kind it was smart.
0: so stressful just having to cough. And that those are things you've never thought about before in your life. Like, you would just cough into your arm and that would be that. Mm-hmm you know yeah. or you would just take out something and blow your nose and yeah it, but now you think about the like what are people going to think if i cough especially since yeah. i'm in a grocery store picking through eggplants you know mm-hmm. are they, they going to throw out all the produce if i cough right now am i going to be on the news for being some jerk that you know people think are coughing all over the produce you know it, it's like <laughs> your mind just runs away with that stuff
1: yeah i mean i and you know for me again for someone who thought they who thinks they probably had it it's like I waited. They tell you wait five days after you have the fever, and then you're probably not contagious anymore and it's safe to go out. And I was like, I'm gonna wait like fucking longer than that. So I waited like eight days before I finally went out this past week, and I just made a, a quick run to this uh, this Japanese grocery store in, in, in Queens that I just wanted. I, I honestly just wanted Japanese beer. That was why I went, but. Um, You know, and and I this is like this tiny. It's not like a supermarket. It's a very tiny grocery store, and they had a limit of like ten people to get in. But it's like I don't even think I don't even know if we should have ten people in here because like this is you know it's like this not that much bigger than like a Seven Eleven. So it's like yeah, I don't even know if the ten should be the limit. But I kept you know I I would just like try to walk around people and everybody. It it was very awkward for everybody, Um, and yeah, and this and even this place was fucking cleaned out, which I couldn't believe because I'd heard like the Asian grocers weren't getting cleaned out like the way the other supermarkets were because you know that the some of the dumbest people are assuming that i guess they're gonna get the coronavirus because they're shopping at an asian grocer yeah but uh but like no this place was fucking cleaned out pretty bad too i mean i was lucky they still have my beer Uh, but you know it's uh it's just very weird right now you know i don't know it's uh but, yeah, I, I think we kind of lost the point. But I guess the point was to get back to the to the format of the show. I've been watching a lot of older wrestling. That's been, uh, you know, a port in the storm for me. And I would much rather do a show f- during all this crap where we talk about older matches. And, you know, I, I came up with a format to do that with, with different guests instead of talking about these fucking empty arena shows that I find pretty unwatchable anyway. So that's what we're going to do here on Wrestling Over Kase for the next, however long this lasts, I assume for sure the rest of April, you know, into May, whatever. whatever, Until we're running shows probably in front of crowds again, or at least, you know, until I get sick of this format too, whatever the fuck. This is the format we're doing, which is five matches with whoever the guest is. And, you know, we each, each picked two matches that we wanted to show each other. We're going to introduce the matches and talk about, you know, why we picked those matches and you know, what, what those matches mean to us and that kind of thing. Um, and then to get to a, I don't know, I just thought the number five sounded better than like the number four or number six or whatever. So to pick a fifth match, basically, and this is a little complicated to explain, but it makes more sense than, uh, than you can explain it. So we've picked two matches we knew we we're going to watch. And then I asked you to pick a third match. And I also picked a third match and I took those two matches and put them on a poll so the Omakase listeners, the Twitter followers got to pick the match and that became the fifth match. So we'll get into which one won at the very end. But Joe, let's start with your first pick, which was go ahead. I mean you can introduce it. Go ahead.
0: So this is the first match that I picked for you, correct? Yes. All right, so this was from January 11th, 1985 from the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas. Where the Fantastics, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers, defended the NWA American tag team titles against the Midnight Express. This is 1985. So it's Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry as the Midnight Express combination. I know there's been like six different combinations if you really want to get pedantic throughout history. And uh, the reason I picked this match is they had a match a couple weeks earlier on Christmas at the world-class Star Wars uh, show, the big Christmas Star Wars show. And the Fantastic successfully defended the the, the tag titles against the Midnight Express on that show. And that's a fairly famous match between the two. And it's a match that I saw, you know, years ago. And I thought it was a really good match. But this match from the Sportatorium, which aired on world-class TV, I had never seen until they uploaded it on the network. And I immediately checked it out because I'm a huge fan of the Fantastics. I think, um, unlike a lot of people, I think they are the best tag team of the era. Not the Midnight Express, not the Rock and Roll Express. I love both of those teams, but I think the Fantastics are the best tag team of that era. And I don't think that they get their due. Uh, So I immediately watched that when it got uploaded. And I ended up liking this match more than the more famous match that they had on the Star Wars show a couple weeks earlier on Christmas. The reason I picked it for you? uh, Well, there's a couple reasons. Number one, I'm trying to get you to appreciate some territory wrestling. It's (laughs) not your favorite area. It's not your area of expertise. I understand why it may not necessarily appeal to you or other people, but I thought this was a prime example of great territory wrestling with the hot crowd, with two of the best tag teams of all time, Uh, great action and athleticism and and great work, especially for the era. Uh, All of those things combined, I thought it was a match uh, from that uh, time in history that you would really appreciate. So that was number one. And I guess we're going to find out if you did real soon. And the other thing was the red hot crowd. And that actually turned out to be an unintentional theme of, of a lot of the matches that we picked today and it's it's weird cuz i don't, it's like there's a lot of hot crowds but from different uh eras of wrestling in different periods of time you know there's a match that you picked that was uh sort of caught in between the attitude era and the ruthless aggression era is that fair to say 2001 wwe which yeah. was you know that's kind of like a hot attitude era style crowd and then there's a hot indie crowd with another match we're going to watch And this was a hot territory era crowd. And they're all really hot crowds, but in different ways. So I thought it'd be interesting to discuss the dichotomy between uh, all of these hot crowds that are hot in their own way. So uh, those are some of the reasons I picked it. I I don't know how much Fantastics you've seen. I love sharing the Fantastics with people because I think plenty of people know all about the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnights. But the Fantastics always seem to be like the redheaded stepchild of those three teams, the one that nobody talks about. And I really think Tommy Rogers is one of the most underappreciated wrestlers of all time. Everyone knows how great Ricky Morton was, especially in uh, when it came to, uh, to, to selling a beating before the hot tag. Everyone knows how great the Midnight Express were as a heel tag team and those sorts of things. But Tommy Rogers is a guy who I think is an underappreciated wrestler who's one of the greatest tag team workers ever. And uh, really one of the best workers, period, of that era. So for all of those reasons, I chose the Midnight Express, uh, winning the tag team titles, the America's tag team titles, from the Fantastics, in the Sportatorium on November 1st, 1985. But I think the air date for the episode was like November – I'm sorry, I said November. I meant January.
1: Yeah. It's January 26th.
0: There you go. So if you're looking for it on the network, it's the January 26th episode of world class, and actually, that episode you might as well watch the whole thing. It opens up with a Sean Michaels squash match when he's a uh, basically a young boy, and he gets squashed by one man gang. So that's kind of interesting to watch too. But uh,
1: um, so I, I want to ask you two questions. First of all, did you think I, when you picked this for me, did you, did you think I saw it already? No. So I will. You were right. I've seen almost no world class. So basically, I have not seen a lot of eighties. U.S. wrestling at all? Like, pre, I would say, like, I saw, I watched NWA slash WCW from like 89, you know, which is like the famous Flair Steamboat year, I believe, right? Yes. Is that, that's, I mean, that would be the first stuff I really watched was all that, you know, Flair Steamboat and Flair Funk. I've seen all of that. I've seen very little pre 89, uh you know, NWA, WCW. I've seen pretty much none of the territory stuff. I've seen like a little WWF, I guess, but like, you know, I've seen WrestleMania. It's like that's, it's not, it's not even like I've watched even like the TV or anything. Um, so yeah, 80s U.S. wrestling in general is definitely a big blind spot. I've watched way more, uh, which I guess is not going to be a shock to any listeners here. I've watched way more 80s Japanese wrestling than I've watched 80s U.S. wrestling. I've seen a lot of like 80s New Japan on, you know, what, what, what's on New Japan World and some other stuff. And then I've watched a lot of the 80s All Japan. But you know, I've never, I've never really dug deep into '80s territorial wrestling. So you were right about that. Um, oh god, well, with my other question, now? I <laughs> um, oh, did you know they, they the titles were held up?
0: The titles were held up. Uh, I a, know. The, the,
1: yeah, it's what the this the history I'm looking at says title held up because of Cornette's interference. Uh, oh, oh you mean- that was that was that was March. Okay.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say because the Fantastics they, they defended against the Midnight's on Christmas and they beat them, yeah. and then they had a couple house show matches after that, and then they did they did this match in the Sportatorium at the TV taping and this is where the Midnight's won the titles. So yeah, I was a little confused there, but it looks like you're just reading a little further down the
1: yeah the
0: line, an angle they did later. Yeah,
1: yeah. So they were held up eventually, um, but yeah, let's see. Um, so okay, let me ask so- you this:
0: Did you have you ever seen? See, I take it for granted that you've seen Vintage Midnight Express before. Have you ever seen the Midnight Express before this?
1: I have. I mean, I I, I guess I've seen I I probably seen them like past their peak, probably right? Because I saw they're definitely in uh, you know eighty nine.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then like I've seen and I've seen some like nineties American wrestling. I've seen a ton of, it, including uh, you know, well I don't know if it wouldn't be the Midnight Express. Like I've seen a lot of Smoky Mountain. But I guess that wouldn't have been the Midnight Express, it would have been like the, the Heavenly Bodies. Correct. So yeah. So I guess I feel like I've seen like tag team matches that you know that people talk about. But but again, pre eighty nine US wrestling. I mean, I might have watched a couple of matches here or there, but like it is very it is definitely a blind spot for me. So you've
0: probably seen the Stan Lane version of the tag team. If yeah, for yeah. sure. So this is the Dennis Condry version of Tag Team. Now, have you ever seen the Fantastics before?
1: Uh, I mean, weren't they in WCW eventually or no?
0: Yeah, they like were they. in and out. They popped in and out. Yeah, yeah. but again, so I, feel, I feel like I had have... passed their prime. Uh, yeah, just like you're saying with the midnights. So yeah, and then, and this was your first time watching anything from World Class.
1: I believe. Well, I probably watched a couple like famous Von Eric's versus Freebirds matches. Um, so this probably would be the only thing other than that.
0: So, what did you think of? the sportatorium and the atmosphere and the crowd because that's considered maybe the rowdiest building and the hottest crowd in the history of wrestling really or at least american wrestling for sure
1: i would it looks small it looks smaller on tv than i was expecting i don't know how many people were there do you know
0: i think it held it didn't hold that many i mean i think it's you know it's very similar to i think like the ECW arena and that's a very small space mm. where they packed in as many people as possible
1: i did so, not yeah see i would i would have like if you asked me uh without watching anything like john how many people are in the sportatorium i would have guessed like six thousand or something probably and it's definitely looked like way less than that
0: Oh and it's not even close to 6000. Yeah. But that just speaks to how crazy the crowds were. I guess uh Wikipedia is telling me the capacity was 4500, so I guess it's a little mm. closer to that than to to the 6000 than the 2000. So somewhere in between yeah. what the ECW arena would hold a capacity which is you know they'd squeeze like 2000 uh when they could when the fire marshal wasn't around and the uh, and the 6000 that 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 you guessed but uh yeah. yeah it wasn't like a gigantic building like it wasn't any yeah. kind of basketball arena or anything like that
1: it almost but, looked uh, like studio wrestling to a degree
0: yeah i mean you know not yeah a little bit i could see that
1: um the crowd was very obvious i mean obviously the first thing you notice is the girlies love the fantastics <laughs> they were yeah. like just screaming their heads off were, now were there boos too for the fantastic like were there men booing i feel like there were a few times
0: um the the Sportatorium crowds were really hardcore heel babyface crowds. So I, if they were booing the Fantasics, I didn't pick up on that, and I'd be surprised. Now I felt they, like
1: I heard it a couple of times when the girls were cheering. There, I felt like there were a little bit of boos, and I felt like I'm like, wow, is this like the earliest example of like what you'd see with Cena, where like the girls are very cheering loudly, and there's a few, bo- there's some dudes booing. Here's the know. thing,
0: though. In those days, the Midnight Express were favorites of like the smarts of the day. Um, you know, you know, whatever small newsletter culture there was at that time, you know, with the observer being in its early days, there obviously was no internet culture yet, but if you were an early tape trader or an early, what we call today a smark or whatever, those type of fans were huge fans of the midnight express. So is it possible that there were some hardcore smarks of the day in the building who were rooting for their favorites or like you're saying, just rooting against the Fantastics because they were pretty boys, uh, that's entirely possible. Uh, But the Sportatorium really, like Dallas, world-class wasn't usually that kind of territory. You would get that sort of thing in the Carolinas. In the Carolinas, people would root for the Horsemen. They'd root for Ric Flair. Philadelphia was always like that, where there would be a certain segment of the fan base that would root for the Heels. Texas generally wasn't like that, but I guess it's not possible considering who the opponents were.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't say it it was like really, I don't know. I I could even be wrong. I felt like there were, there was like two times where I noticed it. And it was both when the Fantastics were like really kicking ass and clearing the ring. And I felt like I could hear like maybe of some faint booing behind all the girl cheering.
0: Smattering of booze. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, The other thing I noticed is the footage looked pretty damn good for a match that took place uh, over 15 months before I was born. So (laughs) <laughs> it was uh, that was the I don't know. I guess that's WWE probably clean, were cleaning it up and whatever. But yeah, it looked pretty good.
0: There's some of that, and also World Class in real time was way ahead of everyone in terms of production.
1: Yeah.
0: So they were known for their great production. They were known for being one of the first territories to fully embrace entrance music. And they also introduced a lot of uh, camera angles that have now become the norm. They were one of the first territories where the cameramen would get in the ring at certain points to film the matches. So you'd get real up close, tight shots that that nobody else was doing at the time. And then obviously everybody else copied it. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense because world class was way ahead of the game when it came to production.
1: Yeah. Now, here's the part where I'm probably going to disappoint you. I came away way more impressed with the with the Midnight's and the Fantastics. I mean, the Fantastic. I'm I've never been, I guess, a big fan of American, uh, like clean clap, clean cut baby faces. Anyway, so maybe it just isn't. They were never going to connect with me on that level. But like, you know, they, they they were clearly. I could tell they were good workers. But like, the people I was drawn to watching were definitely the Midnight's and like, you know, their their heat segment was so much fun in this match, and they were just, like, kicking so much ass. And to me, the weakest parts of the match were the the, the early portion where I kept waiting for it to fall into the southern tag format, and, like, you know, it just felt like the fantastic cleaning house went on forever at the start of the match. It really wasn't that interesting. Um, but once the Midnight's took control, like, that that was a really fun part of the match. And I'm sure part of it was a fantastic selling. I'm sure they were, you know, they did seem that like they were very good at that. But, uh, you know, the when they really kicked Fulton's ass, I mean, that was just the most entertaining part of the match for me. And I, I really enjoyed the, the long extended Midnight express heat segment. Um, you know, and the crowd really exploded for the hot tag, pretty much as you'd expect. Uh, there was a ref bump here in 1985. If anyone thinks that is a, a, a reason invention, I guess it is not. And then obviously Cornette hit Tommy with the tennis racket and the midnights won. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was really fun, especially the, the Midnight Heat segment. But the I don't know, the Fantastic Running Wild and their comeback really wasn't that interesting or entertaining to me. So I would only go if I was going to star rate this, I would say like three and three quarters. I, like I definitely enjoyed myself, but um, it wasn't like some it wasn't like some all time great match to me.
0: Yeah. Um being drawn to the Midnight Express isn't exactly like some kind of, you know, outlier <laughs> opinion. Not, mean, not a not a hot take, I guess. No, nah, they're awesome. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's like I prefer the, the the Fantastics to to the Midnights, but it's not like I don't think the Midnights aren't great. I mean, especially, mm-hmm. you know, the Condry version is is a little different than the Stan Lane version. I mean, it's the yeah, same. are they're,
1: they, they're, they're more like ass kickers cuz he's such a big dude. Yeah, they come off like ass kickers to me.
0: It's the grittier version of the team yeah. for sure. Because Condry is like a bar brawler, and he's very yeah. good at what he does. I mean, he does he like he looks the part. He looks like a dirty bar brawler. Believe it or not, he was probably like 28 years old in that match, and he looks like he's about 45. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, if you look that up, I bet you he's like in his late 20s. But yeah, um, he looks the part, and it's the grittier version of the team. Because when Stan Lane replaces him, Stan Lane's whole character was was basically like a pretty boy. You know? Yeah. So the dynamic of the team changed a little bit. Uh there's people who prefer the Conjury version. There's people who prefer the Stan Lane version. Um, there's nobody who prefers the Bart gun uh Bob Holly version, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That was fucking awful. Yeah. And I, I, that that's a, that was offensive to me as a twelve year old. And I like even I knew like the Midnight Express is they're famous. What the fuck are they doing with this Bart gun? <laughs> yeah. girl, Holly T, Bob Holly T.
0: Man. Well, imagine yeah. Cornette trying to get it over. I mean, yeah. you know, this was a I guy mean, who was...
1: They weren't, like, a bad team or anything, like, when you watch those matches, but, like, obviously they were not up to the Midnight Express standard.
0: No, I mean, once you slap that name on them, you know, maybe yeah. if they had a different name, it, it could have worked. Um, you know, even Cornette was smart enough in Smoky Mountain you know, to, to rechristen that lineage of teams, the heavenly bodies, as opposed to sticking with the Midnight Express name when it just, yeah. you know, when you're talking about Dr. Tom Pritchard and all that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not a strange opinion to prefer the Midnights, believe me. I'm the one that has the strange opinion preferring the Fantastics. <laughs> but in this match too, I think it's a good example of Tommy Rogers because there were two heat segments in this match, right? So yeah. you got to see Tommy Rogers sell and you got to see Tommy Rogers make a hot tag. Fulton, too, for that matter. So, um, you know, the, the baby the baby faces come out hot. They do the long heat segment, hot tag. They do a second long heat segment and a hot tag. And then they go to the finish with the typical uh, 80s heel finish with the tennis racket. So you got a little bit of a taste of everything in this match. But, yeah, yeah the, mid- the Midnights were awesome here. And, it's, and, and you could see, you, like you said, the women in the Sportatorium, if you think it was a great reaction for the Fantastics, you should – Go watch some Von Erich matches. I mean, it's yeah. just you think you know. It's that high pitched screech that you just don't hear in wrestling crowds anymore. Like fans, yeah. Nobody,
1: the- nobody fucking. No one wants to fuck anybody like these girls want to fuck the Fantastics. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, and- which I get it. I get it. I mean, you know. And and- you know what you probably. You know what you probably find it the closest in modern wrestling is in New Japan. Yes. I mean, those women. Those women want to, uh, you know, have relations with, uh, with, with like Kota Ibushi and,
0: yeah, they uh, randomly you know, scream, and Yeah, Knight. they randomly scream out at they'll go Kenny.
1: You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I if you're in those crowds, it's even more obvious. Like it's like wow, these women love these men, and it's like once you see it up close and personal, it's just like you know they they you'll never see people smile as long as they do when they, their faves are in the ring. But yeah, I mean, that probably is the closest to this culture. Like, you know, like the closest, it's sure not in modern WWE. So
0: I think the key is to get young adult women and teenage girls into wrestling. Cause yeah. you look at that era of Texas, and you know half that crowd is teenage girls or girls between the ages of thirteen and twenty-five, just screaming for the Von Erichs and the Fantastics or whoever. You look at like uh, the early uh, when when Joshi was hot in the late eighties, early nineties, and it was what it was teen girls, you know, uh, yeah. treating these women like idols, and and those crowds were were red hot and sort of it, it's that's what brings the fire. These promoters got to figure out a way. Young women into these crowds again because it's Toriyama. Just-
1: Toriumon Dragon Gate, obviously the even like even Noah in the mid aughts. I mean, if you watch those Kent Fuji matches, there were girls there who look you know very into them. So I mean that I I do think it's a, it's a big key. And like Japanese wrestling has been so much better at it in the last like twenty years. And it's just I don't know if there's if teenage girls just don't give a fuck anymore in in America about wrestling and I can't really. I don't know. I don't really blame them, I guess. I mean it's been so bad. But yeah, Vince has Vince has lost track of what's uh like what people find attractive, it feels like. I mean Vince Vince fucking thinks they want to f- they, the girls are gonna love Baron Corbin. Yeah. And he looks like yeah. <laughs> and I, I once I remember I asked uh Nicole, like, do you find this man attractive and <laughs> put him on the screen? And she's like, No, <laughs> like what are you talking? I'm like, Vince thinks this is what girl all the ladies want now.
0: Yeah, especially (laughs) younger girls. Like I could, I could totally see maybe like a forty-year-old woman being into Baron Corbin. Like maybe (laughs) he's got a look that appeals to like a a soccer mom or something. But like no teen girl is going to be swooning over Baron Corbin. It's utterly ridiculous. Um, Yeah. So you came away impressed with the sportatorium and and the atmosphere of the building. Uh, That much can be said, correct?
1: Yeah, and the midnights for sure.
0: And the midnights for sure. And you thought it was a uh, a good little match uh now, now this now to be clear this is not considered any kind of all-time great match okay. this was this was a match which like i said i never even saw until a couple of years ago when they uploaded it on the network and it was like a nice little hidden gem to me uh because it was something i had never seen before um and i came away with i think you know it's i hate star rating matches that are out of the current time period it's hard for me to because they're not really working for my 2020 eyes, they're working for fans in 1985, and I find that very tricky. But if that if this was a match that happened today, I'd be right around where you are. I think I might go four flat, three and three quarters, somewhere in that neighborhood for it uh, to give you an idea. So this is not like a match that I would like throw five stars on. This is not the yeah. best possible example of either team, but I did think it was a good example of the style of the of of the work. particularly the tag work of that era and something that I could expose to you that you haven't really been exposed to. um, You know, now I learn really at all. So from that perspective, that's why I picked it. And uh, I'm glad. I thought, you know, I thought you would like it. I kind of, I thought you would like it, but I didn't think you would love it. So I guess it, it landed right where I thought it would with you.
1: Yeah, makes sense. So let's go into my first pick, which was Mako Satomura versus Sari from Sendai Girls, April sixteenth, 2019. Now, for why I picked this match, it's not going to make sense unless you're a... If if you're a member of the Voices of Wrestling Slack listening to this podcast, it will make complete sense to you. Because multiple people have been trying to get you to watch this match for like a fucking year, pretty much since it happened. So once I came up with this format and got you as the first guest, I was like, well, obviously I'm picking Mako versus uh, versus Sari to finally get you to watch what I thought was the 2019 match of the year. Now, having picked this, I also did not expect you to like it on that level. So it'll be interesting to see if you do. But yeah, this is, I mean, this is my favorite match from last year. It's everything that I love about professional wrestling, um, you know, as far as like, you know, two two women who are in there, like... Or, I mean, that's doesn't really... The, the gender doesn't even really matter. Two wrestlers in there who, you know, they don't have any real fucking issue, but they're just trying to prove that they're the better person. They're beating the shit out of each other with kicks. They're suplexing the shit out of each other. You know, um, other than, like, Larry, this has all... Of the 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 wrestling action that I mark out for, there's like some really there's some cool little mat wrestling which I love. So it's pretty much all of my favorite stuff in one match. And they just you know it's worked at such a brisk pace. You know it's a 15 minute uh, you know pretty much a sprint. You know even with the 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 brief like test of strength mat wrestling interludes. And yeah, it's just exactly like it, it clicks every box for me. I thought the selling was really great. I thought the um, you know all the execution of everything was just. So perfect, these backdrops look so sick, and these, uh, you know, that that fucking I don't even know the name of the suplex that Sarie does, but I love that it's almost like a Sambo suplex, but she drops them right in their head. So, you know, I, I totally admit it for being a mark for head drops, and you know, they do all these head drops in this match. And yeah, it's just, you know, it's, to me, it's pretty much the perfect wrestling match where you know, I don't, it, it, there's no flaws in it to me, like, there's nothing even close to a botch spot or anything, and just you, from start to finish. It's just exactly what I want out of a professional wrestling match. And, you know, I thought by the time Suri beats her, it just feels like, you know, she survived this veteran as much as anything. And so, you know, just exactly the kind of match I mark out for. So I I have no idea what you thought of this. You wouldn't tell anybody again in the Slack, which is great. You saved it for this. Maybe they'll probably all listen now to see what you finally thought of this match. So, Mr. Joe Lanza, what did you think of Mako and Suri?
0: So I think it's funny that everybody wanted me to watch this match, and the reason I didn't watch it is because there was just no easy way to watch it for whatever reason, at yeah. the time. The video kept getting taken down off of YouTube and and Daily Motion and or whatever, um, with copyright claims, and I just threw my hands and gave up. You know, I wasn't gonna keep searching for this match that I wasn't even really super invested into seeing. It's just everybody else wanted me to see it. Then I finally get a copy of the thing now, and I find out that a certain member of the Slack. <laughs> had the match um, as an unlisted video on Daily Motion the entire time and could have just sent me the damn link a year ago. Can you believe yeah, that? Kevin. Yeah, I didn't want to call him out, but
1: you know, but it's like he's not going to listen anyway. He's, he's listening to podcasts, so that's true. You want You can say anything you want about Kevin Wilson; he'll never fucking hear this.
0: So, so what? it's like he had it the whole time. He saw every. <laughs> he saw everybody breaking my balls over watching this match. And and he never sent me the link. I could have. We could have gotten this over with a year ago. Because I
1: think it was Gerard. Like- it was Gerard, right? That finally just was like, I oh, hear it because I sent you the rootube link because that was the only place it was it was up publicly yeah. listed, and that's what I had to list on Twitter because I don't I don't know if Kevin Wilson wants me sharing his link to you know all my Twitter followers. So I gave right. the rootube link in the description. So basically, I, I think if you're listening to this and you're wondering how to watch this match, I have the rootube link in the description um and then on my twitter um you know that's a pain in the ass now you have to like go through a fucking whole fucking weird russian authentication process so you gotta
0: give give vladimir putin your phone number and everything uh, (laughs) i'm not even exaggerating they ask for your phone number and your address and it's like i'm not doing all this to watch a miko satomura match i'm sorry so i found another way and it turns out kevin had a damn link the whole time
1: yeah. So the Kevin link, if you go to the Josie city website, I think it's on the website somewhere. I think you can find it, but I, but yeah, I don't know. It's uh Kevin had the whole time. What are you doing, Kevin?
0: Yeah. What a jerk. So, uh, <laughs> so I fired this up and um, I got to tell you, I thought it was pretty fucking terrible.
1: Oh, okay,
0: wow No, no, it wasn't terrible, it was a very good match yeah. um, That's what everybody wants to hear, that's what everybody thinks I'm going to say And they want me to say But uh, but no, what struck me about the match was It really felt like A huge win For Sari Because she had to overcome this fucking monster And Miko, as usual Was just an absolute beast uh, Like you said, the work was all on point uh, Flawless work uh, A nice little story here Good, snug work. It really felt like Miko was putting a beat into her. So when Seri finally wins the match, it feels like a huge accomplishment to overcome this legend and this monster who just beat the living shit out of her. And it doesn't come off like a fluke. And it doesn't come off like she didn't earn it. It came off like she earned a huge win over a gigantic roadblock. And then the way Sari sold it at like, like just the relief when the match was finally over and, and, and the excitement. And then the way Miko sold it as well after the match, like she couldn't believe that she blew this and lost to this person and was bested by Sari. That's what jumped out at me. And that's what most of my notes are about. Uh, just uh, how they worked such a great match that told the story, the exact story they were trying to tell that this was a huge win for Sari versus uh, an almost impossible opponent.
1: And then it, it set up the whole year for her too. Because she will go on to win the Sunday goes well title tight all that. So. Now
0: see, and that's the thing. Like I don't watch Joshi at all. And I don't yeah. know anything about what led to the match or what came after. But they still got the story across to me. It, yeah. it still feels like, it, it, you know, they kind of nailed that. Because it's I have a pretty accurate interpretation of what they were trying to tell us with this. And I can yeah. totally see how this match would be a springboard to this wrestler getting to the next level and winning a championship and becoming a big star and all those sorts of things. So that makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. But uh, I think you did see some of the stuff for Serene later in the year, right? Like you saw <laughs> the Chihiro match or something. I remember. Is
0: that the uh, like the Husky Girl?
1: Yeah, the Husky Girl,
0: yeah. That's Chihiro?
1: Yeah.
0: Then I saw that match, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: did you like this one better? Because that's
0: a big debate. This was a better match, yeah. The okay. Miko match was you,
1: better. Well, that's I I because I yeah. I I mean the Chihiro match I liked a lot, but I this this to me was like the Joshi match from last year, along with uh Arisa Nakajima and then I Takahashi, which I, I don't know if you saw that or not, but uh
0: No. The yeah. the, the match okay. with what what's the other girl's name again? Our, Chihiro. Chihiro. Yeah. The match with Chihiro was more of a traditional modern style Pearl match with the hot near falls at the end and uh, the German suplexes and whatnot. The 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 Miko match was more was felt grittier it felt more like a fight. Yeah. Um and, and 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 I thought it told a better and more clear story. They were both good matches. Um the Chihiro match, I think I went like three and a half or something in real time. I can't remember. And you all got mad at me. Um and then this <laughs> well, one-
1: Taylor, Taylor and Aaron Bentley are the two that are like do they even think understand
0: maturing- that three and a half is a really good rating for a match? I don't
1: – like, <laughs> like I we're I remember Aaron in in the Slack was like, John is the only New Japan fan who also has good Joshi opinions.
0: Yeah, like, <laughs> <Which> is- <laughs> I don't understand. Like, I remember I watched that match because it, it was – that one had – you want – everyone wanted me to watch both of these matches. I could only find the other one, so I watched it. Yeah. You're all waiting around with bated breath for my for my rating, like like, and I'm like, I don't know. It was a, it was a pretty good match. I'd go like three and a half, and then I get buried by everybody, and I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm like, hold on a second. That means I this like
1: is, it. I mean, this is all the slack does basically is bury each other's wrestling takes. So I mean, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm like this how, three and fun. a half means it was good. I don't understand why I'm getting buried right now. You know. You know
1: who? Oh, you know who never gets buried? Who always gets out of being buried somehow? Rich. Who? Yeah,
0: because Rich won't watch it. Like he just won't watch it. <laughs> But so I'm saying, himself. in
1: general, in general, he somehow never gets his takes never get buried. I don't know what it is.
0: That's don't you a good agree? Point. I mean, yeah, to some extent, yeah. I mean, I, that's a good point. Why does why is he why is he immune to the burials?
1: You you about? obviously you're you're a heat magnet. I I'm I can be a heat magnet in there too, especially if AW comes up. And there's there's some other people, but yeah, Rich Rich just floats on by. <laughs> he
0: never gets. I think. Never gets I think I think he's real careful with what he gives a take on (laughs) yeah, because he doesn't want to take the heat. See, because here's the thing about Rich that people might not realize. He's a sensitive boy. He he doesn't show it, but he takes things to heart, and I think he's smart enough. I think he knows that, and I think he's smart enough to stay out of the deep end of the take pool because he doesn't Mm want to get beat up over his takes. But I do think it's time that we start abusing him. He needs to take (laughs) the same abuse that everybody else takes. Why does he get off the hook? You That's true. But but, but anyways, yeah, we
1: gotta we gotta get a star rating here from you, Joe.
0: I have to tell you what I wrote down. I gotta be on like I went three and three quarters, but I'm afraid mm-hmm. to put that out there because if I got buried for the three and a half for the other one, everyone's gonna crush me for this one. Even though I put the match over and just said I thought it was a very good match, uh, I almost was untrue to myself and just gave it the damn extra quarter star just to get everybody off my back because <laughs> I figure if I just say four. Everyone can go, oh, all right. Well, you know, he put it in a notebook, but I got to be honest. What I have written down is three and three quarters. So if I'm okay. some kind of monster and that's too low, then that's fine. But, uh, yeah, right. but yeah, it was a very good match. Um, I don't see it at like a match of the year level. Like I mean, some, it was my,
1: it was my match of the year. I gave it the full five too. Out of, yeah. I mean, I,
0: I, I definitely don't see it at that level. Um, I don't think it was like the perfect pro wrestling match. It didn't, it didn't, but here's the other thing too. And this just doesn't get discussed nearly enough when it comes to match ratings and, and, and breaking down matches and, and, and stuff like that. People never give enough credence to your personal investment in the wrestlers, the promotions and the stories I'm coming into this match ice cold. I know nothing of the story. Um, I've seen plenty of Miko Satomura in my life. As far as Sari with the thousand E's on the name, I've seen one other match. I've seen the Chihiro match. That's it. So I don't know anything about the the story, the wrestlers. I have no investment in Sendai Girls. That's what this was, right? Um, So it's like the more invested you are in a promotion, the more invested you are in the wrestlers that are involved in a match, the more invested you are in the story, obviously that's going to influence – uh, sort of your ceiling on a match. Unless it's just something that's just so fucking good that it's undeniably one of the greatest things that's, that's ever happened. Uh, it, 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 you're
1: investing. I don't right even, which I don't think that even exists anymore. It's like, I think everybody has their bubbles and you're always gonna, like, okay, like, to me, uh, here's a great example. Okada Naito, that was one of the best things I ever saw. But maybe the best thing I've ever seen as a wrestling fan, maybe my favorite thing ever. But like, if someone just parachuted in and didn't spend the last, like, fucking, you know, uh, I don't know, seven years of their life watching this man, Naito, go up and down and all around with Okada and everything, like, if they didn't... Really, eight years. Like, the 2012 match in the Corrigan was the first big one. Like, if they didn't live through all that, I totally get why, you know, you might parachute and be like, yeah, that was fun, but, you know, three and three quarters. Like, I it, it makes total sense to me why you might say that. Whereas, you know if you lived and died with it all that time, I mean, that was the easiest five-star rating I ever gave. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is a perfect example and there's, and actually see this, this is the thing. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, pro wrestling is a storytelling medium. So uh, if they're telling a story that I'm not privy to, or I'm not invested in, uh, you know, then, then it's going to stand the reason that I might not like something as much as you do. If you're totally invested in these characters and these stories and the back history and everything else. So. Uh, you know, I, it's like, I thought this was a, I'd call this a very good match for someone just parachuting in and parachuting right out. Parachuting out doesn't make sense. But for someone just parachuting yeah. in and then jogging out, I thought it was a very good match.
1: Uh, all right. So let's get to your second pick. And I want to go ahead and, inter- and uh, tee it up here
0: okay so do you have the date on this i didn't write the date down this was i do have the date
1: so it was kota Bushi versus el generico versus nick jackson versus jigsaw from chikara the east w arena march 28th 2009 during king of trios that year but it was not a king of trios match so basically for people who don't know anything about chikara the the losers of the king of trios uh like the early round losers would they put them in these two four ways they would call Ray, uh, God, I can't speak Spanish, Ray DeVoladoras, I guess. And, like, the two, it would be basically like a high-flyer theme, like similar to Ray De reyes they have in uh, AAA, which I'm sure I'm also mispronouncing. But the two winners of the four-way would then meet in the, on the last night, and that they basically have a, a, – it would basically be a second tournament during the other tournament is the easiest way to explain it, I guess. Correct. Yeah.
0: So this, and if I'm not mistaken, this might have been the four losers. I'm not even sure this was the four winners. I might be wrong about that, though.
1: What do you, what do you um, mean?
0: Like, in other words, I think this match was. I don't think. I, I don't remember if this was the actual finals of that tournament or if no, this no, was, no.
1: So this is a, this is one of the two semifinals. Oh, this is one of so, the
0: semi. Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: All right. So basically, the whole the whole tournament was just these two four ways, and then the winner would meet the winners would meet on the final on the final night, and that would be the chance.
0: That's where I was confused. This, this is an 11-year-old yeah. match. So yeah. I knew it wasn't like the final, but I couldn't remember. Yeah, okay. So that, it was a semifinal. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the reason I picked it was at the time, this match was like considered the most bananas thing that a lot of people had ever seen. Um, and, and I know I loved it at the time. And I know that. I'll be honest.
1: I, w- I was not expecting you to pick a Chakara match. <laughs> that was something.
0: This is when I was into Chikara. This is before Chikara started doing spaceships and time travel and fucking all the other assorted bullshit that they do now. Uh, But I went to this trios. I was at this trios. But I remember at the time, this match was considered just – it's not that there hadn't been crazy four-way spot fest before this. There absolutely were. But for whatever reason, this one kind of resonated with people and became sort of the the uh, the peak four way spot fest flippy do match of the era. And one that I wanted to see in hindsight would would hold up to being a decade old. And because I haven't seen it in a few years. And I also wanted to see what you thought about it because you said you hadn't remembered ever watching it. So I was like, okay, this is good. So
1: when well, you can, now i will, i will say in the interest of full disclosure when you said the names i was like i don't know if i've seen this when i watched it i was like oh i definitely watched this also oh, you have so, seen it yeah i mean this is so when did you go to Chikara shows in 2010 by the way i wonder if you're in the same that was another primary of the same building no cuz i moved i moved
0: okay. in 09 so that was so this is like
1: this is like under a year from when i started going to like pretty much every car show in the area like so basically march 2009 um I guess I'm like in between promotions is the best way to put it. Like, I probably just stopped going to Ring of Honor. Um, you know, my famous run where I went to every, pretty much every Ring of Honor East Coast show from like 03 to through like 08. And you could see me in the front row of a lot of shows and stuff. And
0: which, without question, we were in those crowds together. There's no question yeah. about that. Yeah. But you were like
1: a GA guy. So we I
0: was back side. against the wall, man. Yeah, you know what yeah, I, was- I mean.
1: Those were, I was front row of every, pretty much every, like people right. who go back and watch it and know what I look like are like, yeah, there you are, there you are, there you are. It's like, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, what's, I was, what's
0: I, the famous spot that ended up in your lap?
1: Uh, so When Samoa, when Kenta Kobashi, Irish flipped Samoa Joe during Kobashi Joe at the New Yorker, and Joe like flips over the, bar- the barricade and he just kicks me right in the fucking head. <laughs> it was great. I should have held out for merch or something because, like, they, the, you know, somebody immediately came over and was like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm fine." I mean, it was just—it wasn't like he kicked me that hard. Yeah, but, yeah, he, he kicked me right in the fucking head. I should have been like, "No, I, it is terrible. Give me some fucking DVDs." Absolutely. But no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that. I, I was too busy like watching the greatest match I'd ever seen in my
0: life at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: like, I it didn't even—it didn't even occur to me to hold out for merch or anything. But yeah, were you, were you at Kobashi Joe too or no?
0: This is painful you
1: were oh you were not there.
0: <laughs> I didn't go.
1: did you it's, go to the Philly one
0: it's the it's the biggest regret of my wrestling life not going to that I think show. I've heard you right. talk
1: about I think I've heard you talk about this before. I could have went there yeah.
0: was no reason not to go I just I didn't want to get on a train and go I just didn't go and did you I go to the I, Philly I'll regret that for the rest of my life I saw yeah I saw the um I saw when Masawa came in I went to Philly and New York for Misawa.
1: Or did you see, uh, Kobashi?
0: No, the, I've never seen mentioned. Kobashi. I, oh, wow. I, I didn't. I blew off Kobashi, and now obviously there's never going to be another opportunity to see Kobashi.
1: I mean, I, I will, you know, if if I if I ever feel anything towards Ring of Honor still, it's probably because, you know, they gave me. I mean, I got to see Kendrick Kobashi and Mitsuharu Misawa, I'm, I'm I'm never gonna. Forget that, you know. It's like that. That's always going to be. Yeah, you've, you know, you've about, heard oh my, my Masala.
0: St- you've heard my Masala story, right? The in uh, uh. It, where I'm back against the wall, but during the match, everyone is standing for the entire duration of the match. I yeah. can't see anything. I'm like stretching my neck, and I'm standing next to Morishima, who's standing on a chair because he wants to see over the sea of heads, and he gives me his chair, Morishima. And I was like – we had like an argument even though we didn't speak the same. I'm like, no, you keep the chair. He's like, no, take the chair. I'm like, no, you keep the chair. Like I felt bad about taking the guy's chair. <laughs> but he's a wrestler and he understood. He saw this fan who couldn't enjoy the match and he gave me his chair and I stood on his chair. That's my little Morishima story during the Misawa yeah. match. And uh, I think that was
1: – That was uh, that was Hammerstein.
0: It had to yeah. be because he was in the match in Philly, right? Yeah, yeah
1: because the the. Masawa, the the yeah, that was I think Masawa and K- and Kenta, right? Is that right? I think. Or they're on opposite sides. Let me see. tag
0: match, it was a. Yeah. Uh, and then the the singles match was in whatever the other building was, so yeah. I can't remember which building was which. But that
1: uh, one, that was that. I was in the balcony from the Masawa, and man, that was a uh, the Hammerstein like I was front row Hammerstein balcony, and that it just watching everybody react to that. I mean, that again, that was one of those moments that you'll never.
0: Yeah, we so I, felt like, I, and you <laughs> saw it with Kobashi, it was probably the same kind of feel, but we felt yeah. like we were watching a god. It was just. So it, was,
1: it was Kenta. Oh, no. Yeah, it was Misawa Kenta, the singles match. That's what yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. So the, the tag match was Misawa and Kenta against Marufuji and Morishima. Well, they went to a 30 minute draw in Philly. So that was the first night. And then the second boo- night was a People booed
0: the draw, by the way. People don't remember that historically, <laughs> but people booed the draw. People were not happy yeah. with the draw. But it's like, I knew the draw was coming. Like, you, you saw the draw coming a mile away that they weren't going to do a finish, but um, um, I didn't care. It didn't bother me, but people booed that draw, and then the yeah. singles matter And look, Misawa was washed up. I mean, this was very tail end of Misawa, but it didn't matter. who No one gave a shit. I mean, just yeah. it, it, it completely irrelevant. But
1: um, I mean, you could see from the I, I could see from the balcony that people cried when he came out. I mean, yeah. it's like one of the few times I can remember like people being in tears. And it's like, yeah, I mean, they felt like they were meeting a gun. And, you know, it is just something. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, the only other time I saw that many people cry in a wrestling building was probably when when Naito won the title. <laughs> and, and when I was there for the uh invasion attack twenty sixteen where like the these women were just like fucking like bawling. I mean like like yeah. you could tell they were just it was just a really emotional. I mean even when he won the G one, which I was lucky enough to be there for too in twenty seventeen, it that did not get that level of reaction. I mean they, people were really happy and like just overjoyed, but like him winning the IWGP title finally in twenty sixteen. I mean people just were like fucking besides themselves, like just fucking bawling. So yeah. So that, those are like the two that I'll never forget as far as like people crying it was like just seeing Masawa and seeing Naito win the title. So,
0: and again, that's why you have to contextualize this shit when people rate matches. Cause, yeah, there, there's wrestling matches that can move people to tears.
1: Well, that Naito Okada match wasn't even that good. I mean, that was the one where like Sonata ran in and like fucked in yeah. the it was a ref bump and Bushi and Evo. I mean, it was, you know, like, I probably like a three and a half or three and three quarter star match, but that was not like an all time great match. But seeing just seeing Nigel win the title was just like, my God! Like people, yeah. it didn't it didn't matter how good the match was because people were just so invested in seeing, you know, whether they were fans of his all the way back to the Stardust Genius stuff, and or whether they just gotten on the Lij train. I mean, they were just so invested in this man winning this title. They, you know, it didn't even they probably could have had a fucking stinker, and it would have, you know, they still would have cried. So.
0: Yeah. But, so, but yeah,
1: to get all the way back to this Jakara match, I so yeah, I was like in between promotions in 2010, like when the BDK thing started, that's when my friends started bringing me to like every Jakara show. So the first one was like the season cuz Jakara, people don't know they did seasons. So the first one I went to was like the season premiere for 2010 in like January. So this would have been like, I guess, like ten months before I started going to every Chakar's show. But I did go back later and watch like DVDs and stuff. So, like once I watched this match, I was like, "Oh yeah, I've seen it." But uh, it's easily available on YouTube, by the way, which I'm, we're going to put the link in the description. So, you know, anyone can watch this, whether they have a, you know, subscription or not. But yeah, I guess. And you, well, you kind of didn't explain why you picked it already. Before yeah. he got off on that so so um, it's
0: like th- the other thing about it was it's it's like the first time that a lot of those people are seeing Kota Ibushi, so it's like re- there's a couple spots in the match that they're reacting to that they've never seen before in their life, which I think yeah. is interesting. And the same thing with some of the other guys. I mean, there's stuff that Nick Jackson does here that he does in every fucking match now, but it, this was like fresh because it was you know it's 11 years ago, so there were a lot of spots here that. Um, uh, that To me, the match held up. I still finished watching this and thought to myself, I just watched a pretty great match. But in real time, I could see why this was considered at even another level as something that was, you know, a match of the year contender and and just one of the best matches of the year. But what did you take away from it?
1: I mean, first of all, I, I guess before we get into the actual match, what what do you consider peak Jakara? Because I think this is, it's pretty much, I think, like, I'd say, like, I don't know, 07 or 08 through, like, 2012, probably?
0: That's probably twenty eleven
1: Yeah. Because I thought
0: the 09 trios – now, I haven't seen all of them. But of the trios that I've seen, which would probably be about a half a dozen of them, I thought 09 was the best trios.
1: Yeah, and the, and to, and that's what I wanted to say. Like, these these King of Trios tournaments, like the, it's like the peak of the peak, basically, where, like, yeah. they would fly in everybody. I mean, the following year, the one I went to in 2010, I mean, that was the first time I saw Daisuke Sekimoto and Uchiyo Bayashi. Yeah. And, like, you know, they just they would fly in all these fucking wrestlers from Japan. I have no idea how they afforded it, in hindsight. Uh, I guess they didn't, really, It's the problem. But, like, yeah, they were bringing all the Japan guys. They were bringing all the hot guys from the U.S. Indies. I mean to me this is almost like um you know I obviously people love the bolas, but I think the King of Trios were even better. And that's probably because first of all, I love the six man I love six man matches anyway. And obviously the you know, most of the tournament most of these shows are six man matches. But like just the 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 sheer number of like I don't know, like Japanese indie guys they would bring in to go with like all these amazing um, you know, us indie wrestlers at the time, plus like their higher end wrestlers. I mean, that like to me is the peak is these king of trios. from like, you know, like, Oh wait, like, I don't know. I, mean, I mean, even when the, the promotion started going down, otherwise, I feel like the king of trios were still pretty good for a little while. I don't know when the last one I saw was or when the last one was good, but like, yeah, I mean, this, these tournaments were just incredible. So like that to me is like the peak of this era of Chikara. Um, as far as like the match itself first the first thing i noticed i don't know how you feel about this ultimate black might be my favorite english commentator of all time he's just so i don't know how he pulls it off with that fucking voice and everything that he's doing and but like he, he's somehow just an incredible commentator as far as like both making you excited for the match and you know you could tell he's a total fucking wrestling nerd and he always has all these like amazing anecdotes and like i don't know he he is just such an incredible commentator.
0: No, the commentary was very good. There's no question yeah. about it. That it adds to it, as opposed to a lot of indie wrestling where the commentary detracts from the match, where it actively well, they, hurts the match. This helped the match.
1: Well, people. So people who don't know, again, for Chikara, they would have ro- They would have these rotate. They basically have rotating commentators throughout the show, and uh, you know, some of the commentators would be great. I mean, uh, another one I remember always really enjoying was Chuck Taylor. I mean, he was. He was just awesome at commentary. Um, You know, he was just really funny, basically. You know, he wasn't, like, the best pure commentator, probably, but, like, he was just really, really funny. He would come up with a lot of really funny stuff. And, you know, Bryce, who was Ultraman's partner, he was good. Quackenbush was always really good at commentary, whatever you think of him as (laughs) an owner or whatever. He would come up with, like, really interesting stuff. And then there would be wrestlers who were really terrible at it, like uh, Icarus, I remember, was always really bad at it. Like, really, really bad at yeah. commentary when it had him do it. Um, he thinks he was okay. Not He's one of those guys that wasn't as good at it as you'd expect for someone who's such a good promo. But he would come up with some really interesting stuff. But yeah, I mean, that was one of the things of these shows where, like, you know, the commentators would rotate throughout. And uh, Ultra mantis was always my favorite. I mean, he was just so fucking good at, uh, you know, at this at commentary. So I wanted to make a note of that immediately. Uh, the, old, the big flaw of this match, and the thing that, you know, again, I am... It's a nerdy complaint, but even the commentators complained about it. They break up each other's pins when it's an elimination match, and that just annoyed the piss out of me. And I've seen that before in other elimination matches, and it, it's you know, like, why are you breaking up pins in a fucking elimination match?
0: Now see, you stole, any- you stole my heat here, because this is why <laughs> I was, this is why I was going to say that the commentary helped the match, because they didn't ignore that, and they didn't try yeah. to cover for it. They pointed it out. And, and you're thinking watching the match, these guys are idiots and the commentators are backing you up on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, they did kind of give like a wishy... I think just at one point was like, oh, well, you know, Pride or whatever. They want to pink Coda. But like, he, he didn't really even try to sell it that badly because it's yeah. like, you know they, know, they knew that was fucking stupid. I mean, that's the big, you know, problem with this match. Um, but man, like once, once like Coda and Generico start going... Bingo. My God. My God. I mean, like, Kota Ibushi, first of all, who looks skinny as fuck here, <laughs> I mean, <Yeah>. compared, to, <laughs> compared to 2020. Oh, my God, he's so skinny. But once, I mean, look, Kota, if, you, if you've never seen Kota Ibushi, and obviously speaking to a listener here, I, I'm sure you have, but if you've never seen Kota's work, um, you know, during this period, I mean, when he was, obviously he was doing amazing stuff in DDT and really, I mean, putting that promotion on the map as far as, like, his stuff in DDT, but he was in Dragon Gate a lot around the time. He was in Noah. Uh, he was in El Dorado. I mean, he was all over the fucking place. And all of his stuff in that period is so fucking good. And you know, if, like a year later, he'd be in New Japan a lot with the the junior tag team with Kenny and everything. But like, yeah, all of this, all of this like mid off stuff for him. Like, if you've never seen it, like while we're all like you know stuck at home or whatever, go go seek it out because like. Man, that period is incredible for Coda. Like the stuff he was doing, uh, you know, in these differ cups, I think that he was in, Mm -hmm. you know, in Dragon Gate, you know, like I said, even in Eldorado, like he was fucking amazing. Ring of Honor, too. Ring of Honor, yeah, obviously. Um, But yeah, so like he's... He was just incredible here. And El Generico was fucking like he, – he does this incredible like fucking dive to the floor and then that crazy swinging DDT through the post. And it I, I don't know, it really hit me during this, watching this. I mean, he's, he's always been awesome. But it's like this man was like a fucking manager in WWE for like a year and a half. I mean, what the fuck? Like how is that even possible?
0: He stole my heat again because one of my other takeaways watching this was – it really hammered hammers home how much he's being wasted in his current role. It's I mean, just he was, crazy. Like,
1: incredible here.
0: This he is a guy like, who indisputably was one of the ten best wrestlers in the world at one point, yeah. I, right around this era. I don't know specifically this year, but. And, and he had a history with the boot. I, this was a, maybe a this was a year before their matches in DDT, right? This was 2000. No, this no, was 2009. This was before.
1: Yeah. So, so Ibushi Generico, I think would that be, I mean, when Generico was champion two thousand 2012. Yeah.
0: So, so, so they didn't have history yet. This may have been the first time they were in a ring together and look how good they were together. Yeah. I mean, it, that, when these two were in the ring together in this match, it was like, it was, it was fucking magical. It was so good. Yeah, and, and it's like you're just watching, and like you, this was a Bushi's kind of, he's touring the world, and people are seeing him for the first time. In a lot of instances, you could feel it with this crowd. Some of the things that he does that they've never seen before. There's the way they gasp. They don't just react; they gasp, yeah. and that was kind of how people reacted to Abushi all over the world when he went to all these various promotions that you're talking about.
1: But it really, yeah. it really opened me to the, how like. How impressive Generico was, and like you so good. you forget about it now because he's been like doing nothing for years. But like,
0: yeah, it's not God, like he was optimal. It's not like he was being optimally used before he was a manager. I yeah. mean, they've kind of you know mismanaged him from the jump. From you know, but look, that's not their. That's not what they do. You know, they're not going to put him in there to have you know, 25 minute classic singles matches that unfortunately was never going to happen. But this is a guy like you, like, I think you said it best. You almost forget how great he was during this period of his career.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was just, you know, I mean, he could, I remember, I, I, I remember the first time I saw him, you know, you see this guy and he comes out with this, I think it was probably CDW or something. He comes out with this gimmick and you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is stupid. And then he starts wrestling. And you're like, like, wait a second, this guy is incredible. (laughs) It's like, who cares if his gimmick is dumb? But yeah, I mean, I I just remember having that exact reaction of like, yeah, this gimmick is stupid. El Generico, like, what the fuck does that mean? And he's clearly not Mexican. It's just kind of, it just didn't strike me as funny at all. But like, then he starts wrestling, and you're like, who gives a shit? He's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he
0: wasn't just like a an offensive wrestler, like a spot guy. Like he. Who sells better than El, El Gener- than Peak El Generico? Yeah. I mean, and yeah. with a mask, without the aid of facial expressions, you know, this yeah. guy was one of the best bump and sell guys around too. But yeah, Abushi and Generico were without question the highlight of this match, I and mean, really was the meat of the match.
1: Yeah, Jigsaw didn't do a lot. Nick was good. Uh, you know, Jigsaw really didn't do a ton, but Nick Jackson was really, you know, I mean, he—if you had never seen Nick Jackson before, I'm sure you were blown away. Um, I always say, like, when when people bring it up, like, you know who he who's your least favorite wrestlers that you know uh intellectually are really really good it is probably the young bucks for me like as far as that goes so mm-hmm. but like if but him in this match i mean he i don't know i mean he was he he'd like annoyed me a lot less than he does uh watching a lot of young bucks stuff nowadays maybe it just didn't um maybe i don't know if it's cuz he's doing single stuff or I I don't know. He was just, he was really, he looked really impressive here. Like I, I, I enjoyed him more in this match than I typically enjoy a young bucks match now. What did you
0: think of his um, singles match, the spot fest with Phoenix that opened up dynamite like a couple months ago? Yeah, that
1: was, that was really good. So yeah, Yeah. that probably was, I don't know. Maybe I just don't care. I I think I just, it's one of those things where I've just seen too many young bucks matches or something. Yeah. And it just doesn't, it doesn't click with me anymore. Whereas like, you know, Nick in a singles setting, I guess, is is still feels unique or whatever. But right. Um,
0: so, in yeah, terms it, of, do you think this is the kind of match that holds up? If they, with everything we've seen since, you know, with well, these gonna, crazy spots, I'm going to give
1: you a rating on all that. But okay. I want to say before that, because AEW, I just brought up AEW. If people are wondering where that AEW tag style of nobody ever leaving the ring without a tag comes from. You can see the, the fucking genesis of it here because even though this is a four way match, they're supposed to be tagging in and out. Like they're, you know, they're supposed to be sitting on the apron tagging in and out. But like they just come in the ring and double team forever without any fucking tags, with the ref ever getting rid of any of the wrestlers. So you could just see like this is, you know, here in like PWG, obviously, like, it, you know, they were already doing that style in 2009, you know? So yeah. it really it, it shows you where that comes from. And, you know, the, you know, obviously, to if you didn't watch 2009 Chikara or PWG or whatever, you'd think it was, like, I guess a new thing since it hasn't been on national television. But, yeah, I don't know. I, my reaction in general with AEW is almost like maybe that's why it does impress me less because i lived through this period of U.S. indie wrestling. And to me, it's almost just like it is what I was watching 11 years ago on national television. And to, to me, watch, again, watching this match, that really hit home for me. Like, this is, could be a reason why I'm not as impressed with AEW as some people. It's just, this this was stuff I was watching 11 years ago. And right. to me, like, this it, like if you put this match on TNT, I don't think it would be out of place at all. It might even be, it might be one of the better matches they've had on Dynamite, honestly. But like, I don't think it would be, I think it would be very much in line with what they put on Dynamite every week. So, I think it just fair it, it, to me, like it drove, it drove that home that like, you know, this, that, what, what everybody goes gaga for in AW, you know, I, I totally get it because like the living through this, it did blow me away. So like, you know, 11 years later, you know, I'm sure it blows people away the first time they see it on national television. So,
0: so it's weird. So you're kind of saying it holds up but it doesn't hold up all at the same time because well, it holds
1: up. It holds up, but I also, but I you're just tired I of it. Too. Yeah. I don't, I just don't have any, I mean, I honestly do think this is better than a lot of what I saw on dynamite when, uh, you know, yeah. as far as like watching on dynamite, but like, yeah, it's it's just something that like, I've seen so many of these spot fests by now that like, it just, it's never been my favorite style of match and it's never, it doesn't hold up to me the same way that watching like a really great, like, you know, like, make, like Mako three which we watched earlier, like that just is more my style of match than this, I guess. But
0: so why do you think this? And, one... and I also,
1: and I, well, and I, and I also lived through so much dragon gate that like, that's
0: true too. Yeah.
1: You can only see the same spot. You know, the, I, I watched 15 years of it. It's just like at some yeah. point. Yeah. You know?
0: So what do you think it is about this one that still has people talking about it now? If there's been 11 years worth of these exact kind of matches, do you think it's just that the work is so much better in this one, particularly I think with the work Generico is, and Ibushi?
1: Yeah, the work is really, really good. I mean, Coda, you, you have two. I mean, I, I honestly don't think it's an exaggeration to call Coda and Generico like two of the best ever. And they're like at the peak of their powers here and they're fucking going crazy. So I totally get it. And I think it's, I, I think that, I mean, that exchange really does stand out. And, you know, I'm sure that that is a huge part of it. Um, yeah. The atmosphere is really, the atmosphere is really good too. And you kind of alluded to that earlier. Um, you know, you were in, I want to ask you actually, because you were in the building, you know, the, at this point, the East of the arena, you know, it holds probably like what, like 1,100 people or 1,000 people or whatever, maybe like 900 I never, I never experienced the ECW arena during ECW. So I've heard people say it was like a completely different building by here. I mean, is that that's basically true, right?
0: Oh, it's true. It's um, yeah. this was after one of the renovations. There's been more since. I haven't yeah. been to the latest version of of the. I guess it's called the 2600 arena now.
1: Oh yeah, now it looks. I I just went for New Japan last year when they were when they were yeah. there. Now it looks completely. Like compared to even here, it looks completely fucking different.
0: Just a professional building now, just a, 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 yeah. a professional venue, basically now. And yeah, but this was completely different than it was, I guess. Okay, so this was 2009. And I guess the last time I was there for ECW would have been 1996 or 1997. So what are we dealing with here? Like thir- 12 or 13 years.
1: Wow, so why and, didn't you go to 98 through 2000? Just lost interest?
0: I didn't know. I didn't lose interest in the promotion, but. Just life changes. I wasn't going to shows anymore
1: because um, that, that, that was like the only the only ECW shows I, I ever attended as a kid. You know, I had a cousin that was really into it. He dragged me to the
0: like
1: was like ninety nine two thousand in Queens. So yeah, I,
0: what was so happening? I, I went, yeah. so you were you went to the so you never went to Philly. You went to Queens.
1: I think I went to, I went to the Elks Lodge like I think twice. See, I'm I, gonna, I, I wish I would goes.
0: have went to the Elks Lodge at least once because those were also super hot building, uh, yeah. super hot shows with a super hot building. And what Heyman would do is he would play the New York fans against the Philly fans so they would try to outdo each other. That was very smart. Yeah. Uh, so I, never to, got...
1: I did. You ever go to? Did you ever go to Hammerstein? I went there once
0: for ECW. No. No, yeah. but for for Ring of Honor a million times and you know everything else. But um, yeah. but the arena it was a lot different, you know, 12 years later, you know, they cleaned it up and it was, it was remodeled. And the, the crow's nest is like a state. There was a stage over there as opposed to like the crow's nest. It was all, yeah, it was very different. Yeah. Um, but the crowds, you know, it, it, you know, you had the territory crowd in that Fantastics midnights match, which was red hot. And you had a red hot, like modern indie crowd for this match, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, hot crowds just hot in different ways.
1: The the holy poop chant was uh, <laughs> always always entertaining. but right? like I can't imagine anyone ever thought they'd hear a holy poop chant each side of the arena, But uh yeah, I don't know. Like this it, really incredible match. I, I gave it a story, I I would say four and a quarter. Because to me, like the the generic Kobushi exchange is so fucking good that it carries it pretty much makes up four the other issues with the match which are obviously like the splitting up pins is pretty stupid and the the, you know once uh once coda finally pins with the avalanche poison rana like they just start going to really quick eliminations and it almost feels like they could have organized the end of the match better or or laid it out better but like those are the big flaws but like the the fucking abushi generico stuff is just so good that you know you just you still go i still went four plus i mean still an incredible match
0: yeah, I would be the same. I mean, I don't know exactly what I'd rate it, but definitely four, you know, four plus. And I think that's what separates it from, you know, the hundreds, literally hundreds of other similar style matches that have happened since. It's just the level of work. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, another level. So um, I'm glad I watched it again. And that's um, well, a match I watch maybe once every three or four years. You know, I think also the fact that Chikara made it accessible has sort of helped the legend as well, because yeah. it's been on YouTube since 2011. Yeah. So you know, it's you're talking about a match that's was. been out there for a decade for people to see, whereas maybe some other matches just get lost to time because they're on DVDs or behind paywalls somewhere.
1: I mean, if you're speaking of paywalls, I mean, if you're bored, which obviously many of us are right now, uh, I mean, that Chikara Topia thing has. All of, this, all of their shows, I think. And, you know, I, 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 I don't subscribe to it always, but, like, if I ever get the urge to watch Chikar from that period, I just, you know, I subscribe to it for, like, a month and just go through a whole bunch of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, Chakarotopia has all that stuff. So if you ever want to watch, you know, the peak Chikar and see all these fucking King of Trios... I mean, I think it's worth whatever the fuck they're charging, I think, like, $7 or something, like, just to watch a bunch of King of Trios, you know? So that could be a a fun little thing to to relive um, if anyone wants to do that. But yeah, I mean, and like that entire 2010 year with the BDK, I mean, that's like probably the most fun uh, period to follow show by show, too. So, uh, you know, very, very cool stuff there. So let me move on to my second pick, which is Shinshiro Takagi versus Minoru Suzuki from DDT, June 1st, 2017. Uh, This is obviously available on DT Universe if you subscribe to that. Uh, There is an illicit link to it that I gave Joe that I cannot in good conscience give in the show description here. But if you look online, you can find it on, uh, I think, Daily Motion. So if you Google it, you'll find it. But first of all, I I picked this match because I feel like, you know, these quote-unquote cinematic matches are obviously in the news right now with the mania stuff and all this fucking other shit. So I wanted to pick one that I actually enjoyed and see what you thought of it. I also figured you never watched it. Is that, did you, did you watch this before or no?
0: No, I never saw this.
1: Okay. So I figured you never did. So I wanted to hear, I guess what you thought of it and like how you thought it compared to the fucking WWE cinematic matches you sat through. Um, and just, I guess what your general thoughts are on this, it's obviously a very, it's obviously a comedy match, which I don't think any of the WWE stuff was, except maybe, I don't know, was Cena Bray a comedy match, I guess? I don't know.
0: Elements, Uh, elements of the Boneyard match were kind of meant to be tongue in cheek and campy, but, uh, but no, they didn't do any straight up comedy matches.
1: Yeah. This was, this was definitely a comedy match, but you know, it's, it's, people don't know it's an empty Tokyo dome um you know they they start with the the baseball field on the on tokyo dome because again if you don't know the tokyo dome between wrestling shows you know normally hosts a baseball team in in japan's uh, you know top flight baseball the yomori giants the the big two the the team that like you know they're basically i mean they are the yankees of japanese baseball i mean pretty much i think it's like half the country basically like like half the baseball fans in in the entire country are fans of this one team, or maybe it's more than half even compared to, you know, the 11 other teams. So, I mean, they're just a, a juggernaut in Japanese baseball, but yeah, so they're in the, the baseball diamond and they, they go all over the com the, you know, the, uh, what's it called? Like the, 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 into the stands and like the food areas and they fight into the backstage. And there's all these guest stars that I know you're not going to know what, a lot of the guest stars. Cause a lot of them are DT wrestlers, but some of them you will know. I mean, I don't know. You, I'm sure you recognize Saki Akai, but you know. Well, I mean, you has, know, she has a distinctive look.
0: Uh, uh, June Kasai is the janitor.
1: Yeah, that's great too. June Kasai is the janitor. Um, there's uh, what's his name, uh, Ken Oka, who's like begging. I mean, the high of the match to me is Ken Oka begging the people who run the Tokyo Dome to let him book the Tokyo Dome for a Gambare show. <laughs> his weird little offshoot DT, and he's offering them like a thousand dollars in yen. <laughs> to, to book the Tokyo Dome, which I'm sure, obviously the Tokyo Dome costs a lot more money than that. But uh, yeah, it is really funny. But yeah, I guess well, give me your thought. Oh, and there's also uh, Chinsuke and the fake Rose Tanahashi from the the cosplay wrestling is are there too at one point. So.
0: Yeah, and then and then when they get to the bullpen, you got a pitcher warming up, and uh, who's sitting there it's watching it? the pitcher? Wh- it's um, uh, Tenru. It it's Tenru. Yeah. 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 So and yeah, Be-
1: Mako is here too. She's pitching.
0: That's right. And yeah. she, throw, she throws a ball at Suzuki's head. She throws a bean ball at Suzuki's head. <laughs> he gets very angry. Um,
1: Suzuki's incredible in this entire match.
0: He had a good batting yeah. stance. I feel like he's played baseball before. Like, he, he yeah. looked natural in the box. I was assessing his, uh, his uh, batting stance as he, as he stood in against Miko, who was a horrible pitcher. Didn't give him yeah. anything to hit. But uh, it looked like he knew what he was doing in there. It looked like he had a clue.
1: But yeah, you're obviously a big you're a big baseball fan. So that's another good reason to pick. I didn't even think of that. But I'm yeah. sure you haven't watched a lot of the NPB, but uh,
0: I know. can't say I have. But maybe I
1: it'll had, come maybe it'll come back before our baseball, so
0: they it yeah, probably will. But um look, I was dreading watching this because I saw it was like 45 minutes long, and I I'm like, do I really want to watch these two guys just you know uh, walk and brawl throughout the Tokyo Dome? So I, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um I didn't realize that. There were all these cameos from basically the entire DDT roster. Um, One of the first spots in the match is is they do a hold and then they do a rope break on the, uh, on the bait. So they do a base break. (laughs) So he he reaches out to touch the base and then the referee is calling for a base break.
1: He goes Um, like safe. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. He's yelling safe. And and Suzuki has to break the hold. He's confused. (laughs) Uh, So then they go brawling around. It was just silly, goofy fun. Um, a little long, a little long for my taste, but uh, you know, it was—it it never took itself too seriously, and I thought that it was going to. I don't know why, since it was DDT, but for for whatever reason, I had this impression that it was just going to be some long ass, boring walk in brawl that I was going to hate. Uh, there was the recurring bit with the guy getting kicked down the stairs.
1: Oh yeah, Kota um, Hashi. dude, that's—he's he's supposed to be Kotohbuji's like mirror universe guy. I don't know. If, I, I don't think I figured you didn't know the backstory there, but no, yeah, Koda loves him. Yeah. they're like best friends.
0: So he keeps getting involved, and you know Suzuki would kick him in the face and kick him down the stairs, and then ten minutes later he'd pop up again and he'd get kicked down the stairs again, and then they go brawling into the, this janitor's mopping up the floor, and they're 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 interrupting the man's work, and it turns out it's Jun Kasai, so and he gets involved, and then I think he puts Kenoka through a table. Yes. Uh, yeah. and so so and over,
1: Saki Akai is a beer girl, which you have, that takes some explanation. So I've. I've been to these Japanese baseball games a couple of times when I've gone over there, and one of the most incredible parts of the, attending a Japanese baseball game is they will bring draft beer and like these lemon sours to you with these women that walk up and down these stairs with these giant fucking like I don't even know how to describe it like a, it's like a fucking backpack with a giant beer fucking container like a beer keg on on a they're wearing a beer keg and they're running up and down these stairs and these girls i mean she walk like sake here like walks around slowly these girls are running up and down these fucking staircases the entire game like every single staircase has their own girl basically and they're just running up and down and running up and down and they're bringing you like uh you know there's one for each like type of japanese beer they don't have uh exclusivity the way american ballparks do i think there's a law against it actually which is kind of funny but like so where where is american ballpark you know you can only order let's say i, I know Yankee stadium is like only budweiser in this japanese ballpark um i mean they have all these competing beers like asahi kieran Sapporo. um whatever the fuck the other one is. I don't, I don't remember, but like they're like premium malt or something and they're running up and down and like, they're basically all competing and they even have like different fucking lemon sour brands. So if you don't like this brand of lemon sour, you can get, you don't like the acid lemon sour. You can get the fucking Sopra lemon sour. So it's a long explanation I'm giving for no reason, but these girls just run up and down with these fucking beer kegs. And you know, they're selling you like these beers these draft beers for $5 you see. It's one of the most incredible parts of uh, going to a Japanese baseball game, I think. But yeah, that's what Saki Kai was doing. She was, a, she was a beer girl offering beer. And Minoru Suzuki tries to buy the beer from her, but he doesn't have any money because he's in his fucking wrestling tights. So she refuses to give him the beer, obviously. That was, yeah, that was one of my favorite. That was my favorite spot, probably.
0: What was the bit with the guy that wears the mask who messes who fucks around with the panda? Uh, what's his name? The guy that wears the Sachihoko. What's his name? The guy that wears the, uh,
1: the mask. You're talking. You're talking uh, about Sandy it, I, um,
0: Sanda Hoko. Yeah. Or, uh, what the hell? <laughs> I, Whatever that. I, thing.
1: I'm, yeah. So you're he had a, about a Sachihoko machine. I think.
0: Sachi, yeah, and he had a uh, he had a laptop, and it was doing something on oh, a he, laptop. What was that bit?
1: So you talk Super Sasa Dango Machine. That's that's um, him. Uh, that's him. Yeah, I don't know why I said uh, you said such a joke, but yeah. He, it, so Super Sasa Dango. So Super Sasa Dango Machine. He always does. He. You, you ever seen those PowerPoint presentations? Yes. So he's the guy who does the PowerPoint presentation, and he was trying to get what's on his laptop onto the giant scoreboard in the Tokyo Dome. But he, I think he was saying something like the Wi-Fi is failing or something. <laughs> like I assume they couldn't do that. Uh, so yeah, that was the joke that he couldn't that he wanted to show his PowerPoint presentation, which WWE, WWE totally ripped off with uh, Drew Gulak by the way, because Satozawa has been doing this for like you know a decade. But uh, yeah, I mean he he wanted to do his PowerPoint, um, you know, on the giant Tokyo Dome scoreboard, and he couldn't get it to work. So that was the joke, and then Minor Suzuki like pulls his mask off and is like. Shocked that it's, it's muscle Sakai under there because he thought he retired years ago, which he did. That was a joke. So, but he came back under this mask. So,
0: what, what are you making me watch here? I
1: mean, <laughs> you said you enjoyed it. You said you enjoyed
0: it. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was fine. I mean, it, it was a pleasant surprise because I thought it was going to be something that I really didn't want to watch at all and that I was going to hate. But it was so tongue in cheek and so goofy. And so over the top that even some of the references that I didn't get that went over my head, they were still goofy enough to where they were amusing. Like like the one we just talked about. Like I had no yeah. idea what he was talking about with the laptop. But here's this goofball in a mask <laughs> struggling to get on into the frame with this laptop. And and, and he like he
1: starts he starts like uh, I think he starts by saying like minasan or something like which is everyone and there's nobody there. <laughs> so he's talking to yeah. no one, but like that's basically a he's like trying to start uh you know talking about his fucking presentation and just his uh, presentation doesn't work uh i love such he's one of those guys that like um you know obviously totally comedy wrestler but just he's 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 actually funny which many many w many uh american indie comedy wrestlers are not anymore
0: so they go into the bullpen. I, I thought it was funny that the pitcher never stopped warming up. Like, he just, these two men have come brawling into the bullpen, but that guy, he's focused. He's got to do his work. So he's, yeah. uh, you know, he's working on his curveball in there, and nothing's going to stop him. And then for some reason, Tenru's sitting there watching the guy warm up. So yeah. it's just utterly ridiculous. And then uh, they but go then, back the, on the, the field and and the brawl on uh, the, the field. Miko, first, she's, she she can't even, you know, her pitches are nowhere near the plate. And Suzuki's getting frustrated. So she steps up a little closer and then throws the ball right over his head. I mean, that easily could have <laughs> gone badly. I mean, because she clearly is not great at throwing a baseball to begin with. And yeah. that that could have gone very badly. Uh, and then it breaks into a giant brawl. He gives the gotch pile driver on home plate and uh, and puts him away. So it's just utterly ridiculous. I mean, you're going to ask me to star rate this thing. And I'm gonna tell no, you. No, no, I don't. You
1: don't. You don't have to. You don't have No, no, no. Here's what I do want to know, though. Was this better than the mania stuff?
0: If I would have understood the references, I would have been more like, okay. In other words, if WWE would have done this, and I would have gotten all the references, I probably would have enjoyed it more than the other stuff WWE did. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah,
1: um, I mean, the, to me, the funniest joke in the entire thing probably is one you should have been able to understand with the fake Shinsuke and Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, fighting each other because yeah. those two have fought each other to Tokyo Dome like a hundred times. Yeah, I yeah. mean that. The, I remember the first time I watched that, I was like, I, "That that is a part where I was like crying with laughter." So yeah, uh, but that was really funny. And that was really she, clever to get this impersonation. He
0: beats the shit out of both of them, and you know, <laughs> it, it, yeah. So I mean, it was just harmless fun. You know, I, I don't know if I needed 50 minutes of it, but um, but, yeah, you know, if I if I'm if I was a big time DDT fan and it was all landing for me, then, yeah, you know, it, I, the length wouldn't have bothered me either. But uh, pleasantly surprised that it was something I thought that it wasn't going to be.
1: So there you go. That's the DDT match. So the final match we're going to talk about, this is the one we put up to a poll. Um, you had chosen the Rockers against the Orient Express. And I put up Austin versus Benoit from SmackDown in May of 2001. And it, this was, like, the closest poll, I think, in oh my a history. When I've done these, Like, I've done these polls for, like, uh, you know, the fantasy draft episodes and stuff. This one, like, it just kept going back and forth with, like, 51-49, 51-49. And finally, by the end of the two days, after 110 people voted, Austin versus Benoit from SmackDown in May won the poll with 52%. <laughs> to 48%. So very close, but people ultimately went with the like Chris Benoit. Now, why I picked this one is because Chris Benoit's name has been in the news lately, um, first of all, because he for, we had the, the Dark Side of the Ring episode, obviously, and then WWE decided right after the fucking Dark Side of the Ring aired, let's do a fucking exercise machine choke spot. <laughs> That's in uh. that edge and Randy Orton. <laughs> Unbelievable. So it's like, so I felt like, okay, if they're going to do that, then we can watch a classic Benoit match. And one of the things I've been watching, so one of the things I've just been watching on my own time, um, I for some reason I was watching like the the weekly television on WWE Network after WrestleMania. Like I watched WrestleMania X Seven, which is obviously one of the best shows of all time. I started there, and then I watched all the weekly television after that because it's a period that I feel like. I mean, that period is not well-remembered you know as being good or you know and it's a very weird period and there's a lot of stuff on the tv that like i had no memory of like did you know that they they did like a long baby face push for raven during that period which they totally abandoned obviously when the invasion started but i totally forgot that he was a baby face on WWE tv for months in 2001 um but yeah i watched that period i mean i remember liking it as a kid you know more that more than the reputation of it, especially. Um, you know, people really didn't like. I guess the Undertaker and Kane got such a big push against Austin and Hunter, and you know, to I guess to set this up. I don't know how much you remember that period, but like it, it's like it's one of those things where like even the stuff that I'm sure people didn't like when they lived through, when you watch it with 19 years later, at least it feels like you're watching professional wrestling, right? And that's the best way I can put it. Like, it just feels more, you know, it feels like you're watching a fucking wrestling show, which 2020 WWE, even before the, the fucking empty arena shit, barely feels like a wrestling show, you know? And so, like, so I think it's been so bad for the last, like, fucking decade, that when you even when you go back and watch periods that you know, weren't considered great at the time, which is certainly this period, and like even something like ninety-five or ninety six WWF, it holds up a lot better because at least it's fucking wrestling. Which, you know, the last decade really has not been wrestling. So I don't know if that makes sense at all. But
0: no, this is a this is a good period in WWE history. It is.
1: Um, well, people people really did not like this period at the time. If you go back and read stuff. I think a lot of people did not... I mean, people were really pissed at that Austin turn. Well, it's people Austin were really Austin Yeah. Right. And people were pissed that Undertaker and Kane got such a big push after Mania. Like, there's a lot of stuff to not like. I will say, in the interest of full disclosure, and one of the reasons why I picked this match, I love heel Austin. I mean, I think he's... I They shouldn't have done it from a business perspective, but he was so fucking great as a heel. And I think this match, if you go back and watch it, I mean, he was just like... I, I, I don't know. He was just incredible here, like, selling for Benoit and just bumping all over the place and just, like, um, you know, they're in Benoit's hometown here. This is his second title defense of the week, actually, uh, or second title shot of the week, where he had gotten a shot on Raw in Calgary, and that's when they they did the Vince McMahon ring the bell. <laughs> when Austin put Benoit on the face, Vince was like, all right, "I had a plan. They had shown the Hart family, other than Brett, obviously, at ringside, and Vince decided to do the fucking Montreal finish in front of them. Because <laughs> he's yeah. such an he's such an asshole even back then, but yeah, that match is good. But then the SmackDown match—they're in Edmonton, which is Benoit's hometown—and this match is incredible. I mean, I, you you can give me your thoughts on it obviously in a second, but I love this fucking match. And, you know, Benoit does the he debuts the ten Germans here. It's the first time I think he ever did the ten straight Germans. Um, you know, the crowd is going insane. The crowd loves Chris Benoit, which you know. Is a little awkward, I guess, in hindsight. But like, I, I it's does now long enough.
0: Does that stuff bother you? Because it doesn't bother me. I, I it's so I was, horrible. It's, yeah. yeah I it,
1: it bothered me for a long time. But like now, it's been so long that I can go back and watch. And I I watched Fenwal first, like in New Japan, in, WC, in WCW, probably. Um, You know, I never really went back and watched this period of the WWF. So I, I started probably more with New Japan and WCW in the 90s. And, you know, yeah, after a while, really I would say, like, a few years ago is when it really stopped bothering me. And I'm like, well, you know, he was a great wrestler. I can enjoy, you know, his amazing wrestling. And there's still some stuff they say where they'll be like, was a murderer in there or something, or he's a killer. And I'm like, oh, okay. But other than that, like yeah, I can, I can, I can watch him now. It doesn't
0: bother me. To me, it's just historical footage. I I don't view it through any other lens. It's, it's no different to me than watching an OJ Simpson highlight during an NFL package or something. I just, I don't, I don't connect the two and I'm not begrudging anyone that does. If it makes you uncomfortable, it makes you uncomfortable. Who am I to tell you what makes you uncomfortable? But for me, I I've never really viewed it like that. I just view it as it happened. It's, it's part of history. It's historical footage. I, I enjoy wrestling history. I, I respect wrestling history. I, I, I like looking back at old wrestling and he's part of it. And I can't
1: And he was I, really good. I mean I hate to tell people people it, try to pretend he wasn't now. I mean look, he, he was a very he, he was an incredible pro wrestler. I mean, what do you want I to say? I mean, me and there's
0: now? a lot of look, he's the most deplorable, but there's a lot of other deplorable people throughout the history of pro wrestling, you know? And and yeah. and, and and um it's it's I don't just you can acknowledge that look I'm not a remember the wrestler guy I and I never have been and that's not what I'm I'm saying here but it's like you can acknowledge that the guy was good at what he did and also find what he did deplorable and you can I can parse those things out in my mind I don't even yeah it's impossible not to think about like when a, when I'm watching a show and a Benoit match comes on of course you instantly think about it oh shit you know but it doesn't consume my thoughts or and it doesn't ruin what you know the my enjoyment of what I'm watching is what I'm getting yeah. at. Um, I don't know if that makes me a monster, but it seems like you're kind of on a similar
1: wavelength. Now, I mean, I can, I can watch him. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But like, as far as, I don't know how you feel about heel Austin, but I I like, this is probably up there with like 97 for my favorite period of his career. I mean, he, well, just, he was so fucking good.
0: My notes, and this is verbatim say, talk about Austin's heel work because yeah. Austin absolutely was a great heel worker and you got to remember here's the thing about austin he spent the majority of his career as a heel he was a heel yeah. in texas he was a heel for all four or five years uh, that he spent in wcw he was a heel when he first came to wwf even when he was a baby face he worked like a heel i mean the stone yeah. cold steve austin character was was basically behaved cut promos and worked like a heel so then he turns heel And it was like no adjustment for him. And he was always a great heel worker.
1: Here's the thing about that heel turn, right? I mean, if they had come up with a better reason for why he wanted to join Vince McMahon, I think it would have worked a lot better. Like watching through all this stuff, him as a heel, it feels fucking natural. I mean, when he gives that interview with JR, on the the SmackDown right after Mania, um, you know, he says to JR, he's like, when have I ever said – that i love the world wrestling federation fans i want to be the role model for the fans have i ever said that And jerry's like no you haven't i'm like that that's fine i mean that makes complete sense the problem with that turn was they never came up with a good reason for why he would want to join up with vince after all this time and all the shit vince did to him and especially why he want to join up with hunter hearst Helmsley after triple a's tried to have him killed I mean they never yeah. they never explained that at all, so that was the two. that those were the big problems I and mean, if they had never if they had turned hunter that on that raw after mania uh, as a tease or the crowd went crazy when he came down with that sledgehammer, I think everything would have been way better in that you know in that period but they you know they did what they did, I and mean, well, what are you gonna do out-
0: outside of all of those reasons, which are very good, the fans just weren't ready to turn on him yet.
1: Well that's just, true too. Yeah, obviously. It's just
0: the the timing wasn't right and He had and, just come
1: back from that inju- from the neck injury in like uh October of two thousand. So like the fans still want to see him kick ass, basically. Like I think if this, if they'd done this in Mania in two thousand two, it might have really gone over a lot better. If they'd gotten like a, a year and a half of him kicking ass.
0: Yeah, the best time to pull the trigger on a big heel turn, and I mean a big one, not some mid carter, but a big star like this, is when you first start to see the signs that some of the people are getting a little tired of his act you know here's a good example of a perfect timing for a heel turn hulk hogan joining the NWO. right that the whole yellow and red thing was starting to run out of steam you were seeing the signs and that's the time to pull the trigger you don't want to wait too long either you don't want the fans to do it for you if the fans do it for you you waited too long but the austin one was just too soon because people still wanted to cheer for him so that had a big uh, effect on it too
1: now, once Austin turns back, you know, in late 2001, you kind of understand his mindset for why he, he wanted to turn so bad because there's, like, nothing left for him to do as a face, And, like, it was never the same in part because of the heel turn. But, like, yeah. that whole period after he turns back after Survivor Series 2001, I mean, he just never – it never feels like anything clicks, really. It never feels like he's, you know, doing anything interesting. So – it totally makes sense why he never he wanted to do the heel turn, but yeah, they just should, they didn't time it well. They should have given him a longer period of time as a baby phase after he came back, and then. And I then think Vince
0: Vince should have had better instincts and should because it was Austin's idea, and yeah, Vince Austin
1: could, really wanted to do it. Yeah, he, was t- he was tired. He was
0: he he personally creatively was felt it was stale, so he just wanted which, to do something yeah. different. Which I yeah I understand, you know. But Vince should have had better instincts to, to say, all right, that's, you know, we need to hold off on this until the people are ready for it. And that, yeah, to me, and that was the biggest issue.
1: I mean, you can look at this basically as like the first time that Vince really lost, you know, really lost it, right? As yeah. like, this is like this, this is his big, big error that just ran so many people off. And then the invasion is a disaster. And then everything just keeps going down from there. And, you know, they continues by, to
0: lose the plot at every continue, step of the way.
1: But I mean, like, it, by, by like, what, like? Oh eight or something like they're just you know it's, yeah. it's just not it's not anything anymore
0: and it's funny because i mentioned i like this era i like see i was never an attitude era guy i always preferred that like year and a half right before the attitude era which i thought was yeah. awesome the build-up to montreal i mean all that bret hart stuff and from like late 95 to to survivor series 97 like that's my shit and the, i totally and- agree that's great. It's, and the period right after that we're talking about yeah. now, I thought there was, there's so much good stuff. I think just a week and a half before this match was the match where triple H blew out his quads, right? That was right around yeah. this time. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was on a raw. I don't think it was on the raw that week. I think it was on the it raw. Was the before.
1: raw the night after judgment day.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you, you know, so you had that great tag match, which is a legendary match. And there's a lot of good stuff here that I think, because of the Austin turn went so badly and they lost a lot of fans at that point, I think this era here, right, it's like between the Attitude Era and before Ruthless Aggression, right? It's like the sort of lost mini era. And I think it kind of gets a bad rap, historically. Yeah. I think if people go back and watch some of this stuff, it's it's pretty damn good.
1: I mean, 2000 is really good, too. The, the problem really is 98, 99, which are like two of the worst fucking years. You Know which people people love obviously because they had you there and you grew up with it, but like, yeah, I mean, if you go back and try to watch that, shit, it's it's completely unwatchable.
0: So, oh, yeah, without you know, without question. I mean, the only yeah. rewatch value is for historical purposes, yeah. you know, if, if you're mean, like
1: 90, but yeah, like you said, 97 is awesome. I don't know how you feel about 2000, I think 2000 is pretty awesome, and then 2001, 2001 is a, like, p- pretty much what I, w- what, what I was just trying to say, I guess, is a hot take, but apparently you agree with me. Like, the the wrestling quality is really good, and, like, a lot of this yeah. stuff is, and, like, Austin's heel stuff is a lot, a lot of it's really good, and the problem is the invasion is really awful, and, like, kind of kills the year to a degree, but even then, you still had Austin Angle suplexing the shit out of each other, and, you know, RVD's rise, and everything, I mean, like, there's still good stuff. So, yeah. you know, 2001... Is a real I. I enjoy that year a lot, and watching it back now, I mean, it 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 does hold up, and you know, just it comes off as like a much better year than like anything recently, for sure. Do
0: you consider it Attitude Era, or or do you consider it ending at the heel turn?
1: I think it's yeah. I think the Attitude Era ends at X Seven to me. Yeah, I think everything after that is like the weird transition period, like like oh one oh two is like this weird transition period, and then I guess you could say Ruthless Aggression really starts in like oh three probably which yeah. i i mean i still enjoy WWE from like 01 uh, through like i don't know like to me the last year that i remember really liking
0: it was like 07
1: probably so like through the smackdown
0: through... through the smackdown 6 and all that which was very yeah
1: good. i mean like from 03 to 07 is wildly inconsistent and there's a lot of um you know there's still a lot of bad stuff but like yeah. what what ha- the problem was basically once you lose, once you lose all the guys that came up, but before the, it became the fucking pre-programmed robots, and you know that's where it, that's where it dies, right? I mean, that's where like it's never the same after. I mean, once you lose Sean and Jericho, you know, and Benoit, and Eddie die, and you know, you lose all these guys. At that point, once it, once it's like just, you know, whatever's left. From the fucking factory to tur- that they turned out. I mean, well, that's pretty Well,
0: look at it from once once they were just once they were plucked once they were uh, cultivating their own talent because there was nowhere else to get talent from because yeah. they had destroyed everybody else.
1: And, you know, and there's like there's little periods after that where like you know that are kind of interesting. Like you know, CM Punk does some interesting stuff, and
0: yeah, obviously there's the,
1: Dan- there's the Daniel Bryan mania, but it's to me it's never the same after like. Oh, seven I
0: think and it so, and the, it has I mean, felt the same for the last 12 or 13 years it just aesthetically and everything else which doesn't help
1: yeah but but yeah 2001 if you're interested in going back and watching that stuff I think you'll find there's a lot more and we barely talked about the match but like man the match is great oh, <laughs> like, Yeah, I well,
0: I stuff. mean Austin's that's the thing like Austin's heel work even though the heel turned in work for business reasons and all of those sorts of things. That's the good thing about going back and watching all the wrestling, because you don't have to assess it through that lens. Cause we know what happens in terms of business and why that was a mistake, but just, you know, just breaking down his work, I mean, Austin is so good in this match because he knows how to work heel. And it's not that much of a derivative from when he was working baby. It's just less facial expressions, less playing to the crowd. He changes his mannerisms up a little bit. And and and, and basically he worked heel his whole career anyway. So he knew what to do. And he knew how to work a match like this against a babyface in their hometown. And you know, you had the looming presence of Vince McMahon as or Mr. McMahon as the referee outside the ring. And I'm just watching this and I'm thinking, man. Man, did they give away a lot on TV. I mean, it's an Austin <laughs> event. There's a Kurt Angle Jericho match on this show. There's an Edge versus Kane to. Intercontinental Title match on this show. This is like a pay-per-view on Smackdown Well, this
1: this this period in general, they would they yeah they used to. I mean, look, I don't know what the fuck we. I can't tell you what the weekly television is like now. I haven't watched it in fucking seven years or something. I assume they're not like doing this anymore. I assume they don't load up the shows like they load up these shows. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, they they were building to this Austin Benoit Jericho three-way at King of the Ring, which was a show I was at, by the way. I guess that's at the that was at the Meadowlands, and yeah, they they had all of these Austin. Uh, I don't know. They just they they gave away like two Austin Benoit title matches, and then I think the next week on Raw is an Austin Jericho title match. So yeah, they yeah. were willing to do that because they were going to this three-way,
0: the tag so. match. You know what it was? I think it was uh, Jericho and Benoit. It was Austin and McMahon challenging for the tag titles. I think. Yeah, so I remember
1: that. that I, I I just watched that actually. That was really good.
0: Yeah. But, so
1: well, uh, it actually, no, it wasn't. Well, the match itself barely happened actually because they brought up they brought up the APA first to beat them up, and then they brought yeah, out yeah. Uh, Big Show and Rhino to beat them up, and then finally Austin McMahon came out. But it, the, the, the comeback was incredible. See, it the just goes to so. show.
0: Like I remember this era better than the Attitude era because I was so checked out of the Attitude era. Yeah, it, it, it's weird. And most people, it's the opposite. Like they remember every detail about the Attitude Era, and then you know the stuff that came after. You know, because a lot of people lost interest. But yeah. yeah, this match kicked ass. This is just a kick-ass wrestling match, and a I'm great really like, main event,
1: like a four-star match, I think.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, so, right around that neighborhood. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. for sure.
1: Uh, if you ne- people have never seen it, I think it's a really interesting little historical curiosity of like you know Benoit his hometown against. This Austin, this heel Austin, which, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm always one of these people that wants people to go back and see that heel Austin period because, like it, like you're saying, it's a failure from a business standpoint, but he was just so good.
0: None of and that like, matters it, you know, on rewatch. Yeah. You can just enjoy the stories and, and the matches for what they are.
1: It's the same kind of thing with like, there's so many examples of that in history where, like, I uh, use a good one, Babyface Night where, like, you know, even even one of the biggest NATO fans on the planet w- would tell you like that was not a success from a business standpoint. He, he was a flop as a top babyface. but that doesn't mean you can't go back and watch those matches now and be like, man, he was great. Like those Ishii matches and, uh, that Okada match in 2012 and stuff. So like, even though it was a failure, you can still go back now and watch it and be like, you know, he was, a, he was a great babyface. I mean, he was awesome, but it just didn't, you know, it didn't click for whatever reason. Whereas same thing with this heel Austin run where it's like, I think he was a fucking one just an incredible heel. Uh, but you know, it just didn't work.
0: Right. But the matches and the stories, you may have been distracted in real time because you're yeah. like, well, this isn't working. Well, now you're removed from that. And since it yeah. doesn't matter anymore, you can just enjoy this stuff for what it is.
1: Yeah. So there you go. That's our I guess my first our first little attempt here at the five matches format. I thought this was fun. I had a good time. I don't know how you felt about it, but
0: I hated every second of it. Don't <laughs> ever, don't ever bring me on this wretched show again.
1: All right, I'll I'll keep that in mind. Uh, but I hope you, the listener, enjoyed it, and I hope because uh, we're going to be doing it for probably another month and a half at least. Uh, Joe, before I get into, I guess next week's show, why don't you plug everything, including the the new tier of the uh, the flagship Patreon.
0: Voice of the Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm sure everybody listening is at least aware of it. Even if you don't listen to it, uh, give it a shot. We go three hours every single week. And now we go live on our latest tier on our subscription package behind the Patreon wall for $10 a month. You can listen to the flagship live as it happens. So if you if you're a big fan of the show and you don't want to wait for the uploads 24 to 48 hours after we record, you can listen to the show as it happens. If you hate me. And you hate the show, you can listen live and you can listen to all of my off color and problematic comments uh, before Rich edits them out. And you can put them online and you can cancel me for the 19th time. So (laughs) there's even an angle there if you don't like me to subscribe to the $10 tier so you can try to uh, catch me saying problematic things. Uh, There's other tiers uh, behind the paywall as well. The $5 tier will get you nearly everything we do, everything with the exception of the live content. And uh, there's written content behind the paywall. There's even a $1 tier, which is a trial tier where you can sample uh, selected bits that we price at the $1 mark and then decide if you want to fully commit to the $5 or the $10 package. So if you are not a subscriber, check us check us out, uh, voiceofwrestling.com slash Patreon and uh, see what we have to offer and give us a shot.
1: And then as far as... Um this this show next week uh obviously first of all you can follow us on twitter at wrestle omakase wrestling one vet and you can also that's where you want to go from now on to do the to to vote so if you really wanted rockers resort express instead of uh ben austin you'll get your chance next week to vote on whatever the two matches are to pick our fifth match next week like we're going to continue with this format and my guest will be uh, Kevin Brown from the Bad Wrestling Podcast. So, who knows what horrors he has in store for me?
0: You know, uh, he's going to give you horrendous <laughs> matches. You <realize> horrendous.
1: <laughs> he's going to pick two awful fucking matches and then a third awful mean match that will crush whatever I pick in the poll.
0: Yeah. You're so. doing, first of all, you're doing all three of his <laughs> matches. That's number one. And number two, I was nice to you. I gave you some matches I figured you'd enjoy. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. You're getting total trash. He is burying but, you six feet under with these but, matches. But
1: but I'm going to get him back by making him sit through like some fucking forty minute New Japan match. He's going to hate. So
0: there you, you go. Know,
1: there you go. I'm gonna, it'll be a plan. very
0: contentious show as opposed to this one where we got along well.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we, we. I don't think there was anything we didn't either one of us didn't like. So you know. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, so folks, that'll do it. Thank you all for listening. As always. Uh. And next week, you know, like I said, me and Kevin will be back to continue this format. If I wanted to also mention, if there's anyone you want to suggest as a guest for this format, um, you know, definitely get at me on Twitter or the discords. If there's anybody you think you'd like to hear, uh, pick their masters and stuff. I, I, I have a bunch of people in mind. So, I, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I, maybe I'll use it. Maybe I won't, but I'm definitely always open to suggestions. So folks, thank you as always for listening.